You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. W-A-P-G. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 483. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, a view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters at Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 6th day of August, 2021. In today's episode, EAA Air Venture Wrap-Up, Confusion from a Phenom, Duct Taping Passengers to Their Seats, More News, Your Feedback, and this week's plane tale, the Asso Defense. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 483 is ready for pushback. Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me today, from across the pond, in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi, hi there, Jeff. After the longest break uh, in APG history, I think. Well, could be. And I can't wait to get all caught up with you and uh, everybody else. And uh, before we do that, though, I think we should first start with the news. Absolutely. Stand by for news. All right, let's start off with uh, a huge air show, probably the biggest in the world, I'm guessing, at least general aviation-wise. Uh, EAA Air Venture Oshkosh 2021 was last week, and uh, we have several people that listen to our show who are participating in that amazing air show, and man, I really, really missed going uh, there this year. I'd planned to go, but we'll talk about that later on in the uh, in the getting to know us segment, but several of you did. And let's uh, tell you a little bit about this. This is from um, EAA.org. EAA Air Venture Oshkosh 2021 facts and figures from an outstanding year. And this is uh, according to uh, President uh, Jack Pelton. Uh, this is perhaps the most challenging set of circumstances, circumstances, circumstances we've ever faced as an organization to make this event happen. I could not be more proud of our volunteers, staff, and participants on the way they came together to exceed our expectations and make Air Venture 2021 a truly memorable experience. Uh, the attendance this year, 608,000. Only the third time attendance has surpassed 600,000, and within 5% 
of the last time they had AirVenture back in 2019. Uh, we went into this year not knowing what AirVenture would look like and how big of an event was possible. The aviation community spoke loudly, though. It was ready to come to Oshkosh, and we were happy that we could welcome them. Our theme was, the wait is over, and indeed it was. And the wait was worth it. There was joy and excitement throughout the grounds, and it set the stage for the return of AirVenture, making us very excited for the future. We have some feedback from somebody who happens to be in our live audience right now and is a big part of our APG community. His name is Logan Lynch. And so let's play his audio feedback. Hey, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Rick, Nick, and of course, Liz. Um, I just wanted to spend some time sharing my experience that I had at EAA AirVenture. So my week started on Sunday, the 25th, after landing in Appleton. This year I decided to stay in the dorms. <clears throat> if you're looking for something that's more on the budget-friendly side for the week, this is definitely the way to go, especially if you can find a roommate to split the cost with. On that note, um, be careful if David Abbey asks you to stay with him as he has a clothing optional policy and has a system rigged to the point where Jennifer always seems to be stuck in the room next door where she tends to run into chairs in the middle of the night and causing a ruckus on our entire floor. The dorms have an all-you-can-eat breakfast available which has which also has a variety of restaurants in close proximity. And If you don't have a car there's also a shuttle that leaves the dorms every half hour or so to take you directly to the airfield. I know there were several several of us that stayed there this year. So, initial impressions. Pandemic? What pandemic? The place was absolutely packed. And I'm recording this on Wednesday the 4th and yesterday the EAA released uh, I'd say preliminary numbers but they uh, they said that there were over 600,000 visitors along with over 10,000 aircraft on the field. So they uh, definitely exceeded 2019 and that's with very limited international visitors. Speaking of which, Glenn Taller, we missed you, we're sad you weren't able to come. And Tim Everett, we're glad that Canada let you come. The show was definitely different, and many things were missing, but it was still a huge event. As of 8 p.m. on Sunday, July 25th, there were already 8,000 aircraft arrivals. That's Sunday, before the show even started. So here's a couple of highlights from each day of the show for me. On Monday, there was a brand new 737 MAX 8. Um, on Boeing Plaza. This airplane was just delivered the night before. It actually still had its experimental certificate. They had to work all night to get that um, changed so they could fly it to Oshkosh to be on display. We also met with Major Rick Bell for a tour of the C-17 flight deck. Thanks for that Rick. That is a awesome airplane for sure. 
I'm going to challenge Laura Davis to give feedback on the event we went to Monday night if she hasn't already submitted feedback on it. It was a NASA panel and that was awesome, but I'll let her tell more about it. Tuesday, Mike Patey arrived with his newly finished carbon cub nicknamed Scrappy. If you don't know that whole story, I'll definitely put a plug in for his YouTube channel. And then Acme Brown brought in their newest 747-8 and we were able to take a tour of that. On Wednesday morning, Dave from Live ATC was kind enough to take some of us out to Fisk to see how air traffic control funnels all of those aircraft into Oshkosh. And literally all it is is a group of about five or six in a trailer that's out in a cornfield and they have binoculars picking out airplanes out to the uh, southwest and calling them out. That day was cut pretty short due, uh, due to a line of severe thunderstorms that were approaching the area. The night air show was postponed until Thursday. Luckily the worst of the storm missed out to the west so there was no damage reported and most of all no injuries from the storm. Thursday was a pretty awesome day. Major Bell and I hope I'm getting that um, that right. I, I briefly remember Captain Jeff promoting him to Colonel one episode but anyways Rick um, headed home back to Pittsburgh and uh, was able to give us a uh, show with a max performance takeoff in the C-17. Acme Brown 747-8 also basically Boeing Plaza was cleared out that day to make way for the uh, US Air Force Special Operations Command and they brought in C-130s, CV-22 Ospreys, A-10 Warthogs and several more they sampled or simulated a rescue operation which also involved quote-unquote blowing up approaching enemy forces. That was a fantastic show for sure. The rescheduled night air show from Wednesday also took place that night which was awesome as always. Friday for me was kind of a walk around day, more of a relaxed day, um, going in there with no plan. Um, I took a tour of the vintage area and the ultralight area. And it's one thing to admire the airplanes that are up in the air, but another to walk around for a while and just looking at all of these Airplanes, like I said, over 10,000 airplanes may have been on the field at one point, but each one of them may have a unique story, and so it was good to just go slow and and see these planes on the ground. Um, in the vintage area, every model of Stinson you could think of, every Cessna, Piper, Travel Air, Bonanza, they were all there. Um, and there's definitely not enough time in the week to see all those and learn about everything. Oh yes, and also on Friday was a recording of 
Oh, some kind of podcast. Nobody too special. Um, two dudes named AH and RG, or is it RH and AG, RHAG, something like that. Nothing too crazy, but nobody really knows their names, right? Um, I won't talk much about that show, but let's just say a certain someone that follows APG was there to defend the APG honor, if that is even a thing. But in all seriousness, it was a fun show, and I can think, and I think I can speak for most of us in saying how proud we are of how those guys, how far those guys at Opposing Bases have come with their show. Anyways, that's pretty much it. I'm sure you'll have quite a bit of feedback on the show, so I won't take too much time, but I will end by saying I'm grateful for APG and the APG community. You're, you're all a big part of why I started getting into the Oshkosh scene. 2019 was my first time there, and that's where I met a lot of you for the first time, and that's where many of these friendships began for me, and this week was where many new friendships began. We definitely missed you all that weren't able to make it and wish you could have joined. But here's to hoping for Oshkosh 22 meetup. Uh, we love you all, and thanks again for all you do. Oh, and P.S. Thanks for letting Hillel out of the shows for the week. I'm not sure who you hired to take the toilet paper out of all the porta potties near him, but they definitely did a good job trapping him there for a while. Bye. Well, before we comment on that great feedback from Logan, let's first acknowledge the fact that we have with us today from her lakeside cottage in South Kakalaki, Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. I'm hoping you guys can hear me. Yep. We can. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, we took a, you know, that little hiatus you were mentioning and I came back and none of my audio stuff worked correctly and I have no idea why. So I was frantically trying to troubleshoot that, but it well, basically did just it. took, you know, the old trick of turn it off and turn it back on again. And that seemed to, that usually to work. works wonders. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Glad to, uh, glad to make it for the show today. Good to see you guys. It's been a minute. And, uh, I guess the theme today is lakeside cottages. Sure. Lakeside cottages. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, well, where's where's, where's yours? Nick? Where's <laughs> yeah, your lakeside where's cottage? My lake? Get on the stick. Come on. Hmm. Um, so to speak. Uh, let's see. So let's get back. We'll, we'll get all caught up with each other here during the, uh, getting to know us segment. But, uh, in the meantime, Logan, thank you so much for taking the time to record that and send that in. And I'm hoping that we'll get some more, uh, feedback, some more audio feedback regarding, uh, people's experiences, especially our APGers, uh, in, uh, Oshkosh at the EAA air venture. Uh, sorry to hear the, the few, troubles you had with some of the fellow APG community members, such as, uh, uh, let's see, um, Dave, David, uh, Abby, and his clothing optional kind of lifestyle, um, Jen, and running into chairs and knocking over things and causing havoc in the dormitories. I mean, I don't know what, what to do with these people, really. Yeah. Craziness. Kind of it is crazy. But he did mention that uh, the opposing bases co-hosts, Arhag, 
uh, recorded a live show at Oshkosh on Friday. So I guess that would be a week ago today. Or, yeah, a week ago today. Can't believe it's already been that long. Anyway, and um, several of you listeners were in attendance uh, for their live show recording. And we heard some exciting news from AG regarding their show, Opposing Bases. Let's take a listen. Yes, and this is the uh, the last shameless plug of our <laughs> selves. Uh, we made it to the top of the aviation charts. Uh, as of today, we're the number one aviation podcast of all time in the United States. Of all time. Wow, congratulations. That is quite an accomplishment. In, of in, all time? Yeah, I think it's it's incredible, actually. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I need to see that. I need to see those stats. <laughs> you need, you need the uh, actual proof, the, the statistics from... Yeah. There are a lot of podcasts out there that have been doing this for even longer than they the said APG. that was from, from uh, Apple or uh, uh, iTunes? I don't know. Stats? I don't know. But whatever Podcast it was, I would, I, would, I, would, uh, I would be proud of that. And oh, yeah. uh, so good job, guys. Really appreciate that. Well, they, they, no doubt about it. They're very popular. And uh, oh, yeah, take yeah. my hats and off to them. They've, they've definitely done a marvelous it. job. Yes. Well, and they put a lot of effort into their show, unlike us. Yes, they no. Do. That's why. That's where. That's why we are not the number one. Well, I didn't say that, podcast of all time. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't say that they didn't deserve it. <laughs> they probably no. do. No, they but, do. Uh, yeah. yeah, they do. And uh, but anyway, uh, our good friend and community member Laura Davis was in attendance in that live audience, along with several other APGers. And uh, here's uh, Laura started off their live feedback session. And uh, let's take a listen. Feedback time. Feedback. Hey. Hello. Hi. My name's Laura Davis. I live in the land of real names. So. Um, <laughs> Hello, Lima Delta. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, uh, two-time listener, um, sort of a fan, I guess. Um, I just, I'm just confused because I was told this was like the best aviation podcast show and I don't see Captain Jeff anywhere. Um, so I just wanted to know like how many people did you pay off for all those like likes and subscribes and stuff, all those reviews that you just read right now because I'm guessing they're fake. So Thank you for the, for the kind words. Yes. <laughs> wow. What I want to know is how much Captain Jeff paid you. Uh, <laughs> To stand up here. Uh, I don't disclose my uh, fees to the public. So, so the, li the live audience can see you are wearing a shirt from 2019's Osh Bash, is what he called no, it? No, it's Osh just the APG. It's just the regular. Oh, wait. Okay. He used the logo on the front. Okay. I have Available that. on airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff can't be here this year. We do miss him. We miss and Jeff. I wish he could be here for this. We did go to his live show in 19. He had his big fancy rv with big giant speakers and, and power yeah power. actually i actually heard that the reason he's not here is because you guys got this the spot we and, stole the last yeah, spot for the forum so. yeah yeah the forum uh was generous enough to give us the only one and we they said oh it's available <laughs> and i don't have the schedule in front of me to, there's why it's available yeah <laughs> <laughs> who in their right mind would record a show during an air show. I, I, I Look, I still listen to Captain Jeff. I love him. I wish he was here. I miss him. And 
I, I'm, it's awesome that you brought him up at the show. It's super appropriate. Yeah, Thank we do you. owe them. We do owe uh, APG a lot for getting us our start and helping us get our name out. Yeah. There, so. if, if, who in this crowd also listens to Airline Pilot Guy? Exactly. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah. 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 And, we, and uh, when we first started, he was very generous in sharing our show with his audience. So thank you, Captain yeah. Jeff. Thanks, thank you, guys. Lima Delta. Thanks. <laughs> Uh-oh. This is trouble. <laughs> oh, this is... <laughs> Have our attorneys... Well, that was uh, because Mike Carroll's was standing up to uh, get in front of the microphone. So, uh, yeah, he also had some great feedback. And Mike, looking forward to hearing uh, from you and getting some audio feedback from you regarding the uh, the festivities at Air Adventure. I think he just did. He just put out a, a episode. Yeah, I think he is. Uh, he was working on um, yeah. an episode, an interview episode. But he said he said he was going to send us some feedback. Ah, uh, yes. Maybe his show took precedence. His episode seventy one was published earlier today. Yeah, well, you know. That's what, you know. I mean, where where are his priorities? Jeez. Come on. I know. <laughs> Poor chap. Anyway, well, Laura. Thank you, Lima Delta. Yeah. I mean, Laura. Oh, geez. She lives in the world of real names. Yeah. Come on. For defending, yeah, I, I for like defending the world. honor of APG. And it was very funny, uh, Laura. It was great to listen to you. Thanks. Yes. That was Thanks a, for waving the APG flag. We do appreciate that. Anyway, so it looks like the whole thing was an incredible success. Uh, lots of great, uh, you know, events occurring there. It looks like they set some records or almost set some records. So pretty incredible when you consider how there wasn't even an air venture last year because of the pandemic. So that's pretty cool. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. And we hope yeah. to be back great, there great again in the future. Sorry we couldn't be there. Yeah. It's All right. Very good. Anything else to say about uh, Air Venture? No? No. We shall be in there. See you next year. Yep, we'll see you next year. Okay. Well, we have this next news item, and I'm sure that many of you have already watched this video. It was uh, a Tri-MG, which I've never heard of that airline. Um, Tri-MG Boeing 737-300 freighter. Uh, performing flight 515 from Kolkata, India to Paro, Bhutan, was on approach to, or Paro, or Paro, how, how would you pronounce that? Paro? Paro? Paro. We'll say Paro. Paro. Yeah. Runway 33, when the crew received a bank angle warning, as well as a GPWS sync rate pull-up warning, but they continued the approach, resulting in a hard touchdown. According to UNICEF, the aircraft was carrying Moderna vaccines to Bhutan, that were donated to Bataan within the COVAX initiative. The aircraft remained on the ground in Padro for about 16 hours, then departed for the next sector to Bangkok. Now, golly, that didn't take him long to replace the undercarriage then. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, they, I guess they might have had some spare parts from the last hardland. I don't know. Just, you know, well, you know what? Out. To me, though, I mean, 16 hours, that could have been just their scheduled crew rest. You know, maybe it have been at an end of, end of their duty yeah. day. Like, walk around. Post flight plane looks okay. Yeah. Well, you sure. want to you want to see this video of uh, this um, uh, final yeah. approach and landing. For anyone who hasn't seen it yet, this, yeah. Uh, enjoy. Let's uh, let's do that here. Let me. Uh... Okay. You, you turn left now. Turn left. Go to this uh, red hill. Yes. Turn left. Turn left. Turn left. Turn left. Turn left. Turn left. Go down. Go down. Go down. You'll be high. Go down. Go down, get in, turn more. Look okay. on this. 
more down, more down now. Little more. Yeah. Little more. More so that you can come little more there. These darn jump seaters. Uh, who's doing the talking? Is it the captain in the first officer seat? No, I think it's the uh, guy that's sitting Sounds in the jump seat. Sounds like the jump seat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the first officer are in the first officer seat because I think he's got four strokes. He's spending more time filming than anything. Yes. That's most important. Uh, reverse now, mate. Don't go too far. Oh, dear. Oh. Uh oh. Ouch. 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 Try and get the wheels on the runway. Old chap. Where's the center line? Ah, that's close enough. Ah, that's fine. Just put that up there. Oh my god. Are they laughing? Yeah. They're laughing. And he's still filming with his camera. He just uh, turned yeah. off the camera. <laughs> well, it'll be a good debrief tool. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of video you're like, how did that even make the video make it out of that cockpit? Like, oh, why did they uh, share yes. that? Why would they, they think that, that that would be a good thing why to would share? Why would they think that they'd be like, yeah, check, the, check out this landing. Well, that's like normal then, the other day. Harold, I guess. If you're yeah. used to, I don't know. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I definitely would not have shared that um, no, no, to anyone. Uh, yeah, I think the the guy on the jump seat must have been like the the chief line check or instructor or something, because he was the one that seemed to be directing everything. Yeah. And trouble uh, is with voice operated pilots is you have to tell them to do something well before you actually expect them to do it. Right. <laughs> because by the time it's gone in the air, being calculated, and that actually comes out in the hands, it's usually well too late. I wonder where this airline, if they fly to Paro very often, because it's a pretty high altitude and, you know, you much have a much higher um, true airspeed up at altitude oh, yeah. like that and your turn yeah, radiuses are, inertia. yeah, a lot more, uh, yeah. you know, you, you put in a certain amount of bank and you're expecting the airplane to track a certain way and uh, up at higher altitudes, it doesn't work that way. You have to think... As you yeah. just said, ahead of I, I got the feeling that it was uh, the left-hand seater's checkout. <laughs> and he the passed with the flying uh, covers. I'm not I'm sure gonna... how well that went, but <laughs> yeah. let's see. Prime G, uh, their cargo operation, scheduled cargo airline operator uh, approved by the Director General, Civil Aviation Authority of Indonesia. So they're in Indonesia. That part of the world. Mm -hmm. Provide services into Singapore, Malaysia, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand, Hong Kong, and Australia. Okay, so though, wow. those are all places that are pretty close to sea level, I would think. So they're probably not used to operating at high altitudes, right? Am I missing something? Uh, particularly uh, what is looks like a very bendy visual approach down a valley. Yeah. And I have no idea uh, how hard that go-round is. So, um, you know, they had some tight terrain at the end of the runway there. So um, I don't know whether it's one of those approaches where you commit, uh, you know, fairly... Um, you know, l uh, late. So, and, and once you committed, you've got to land. Uh, mm -hmm. Whatever. Didn't look very stable. No, it didn't look uh, stable at all. No. Um, Nor did it sound like it was stable. No. <laughs> um, no. Dale says once off charter from Calcutta to collect COVID vaccines for Thailand, I believe. Well, in, according to Aviation Herald, they were actually delivering the Moderna, yes. Moderna, Moderna vaccine, vaccine to Moderna, Bhutan. Yeah, to Bhutan. <laughs> um, oh, they upgraded from 737-200s, so 
this is a much more advanced airplane. Uh, right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, uh, if you're listening to the audio only and you're wondering what this looks like uh, out the front of the cockpit windscreen and you don't mind getting a little scared, uh, check it out in the show notes. Yeah. Chris in the uh, chat room says he saw something uh, online to... Um, not sure the source there, but the jump seater was a local guide pilot directing them through oh, the valley. Kind of like a um, kind of like a cruise, like the the what pilot, do you call those pilot uh, pilot ship on a cruise, pilot ship or like pilot guide you into or, the port. Well, yeah. he's just called a pilot. The guide, uh, the, yeah, the, well, the harbor pilot that comes oh, in harbor, and yeah. uh-huh. directs your ship through all the hard. He, he doesn't uh, have an aircraft license and a flying license, but <laughs> he has a pilot. So different yeah. kind of pilot. So turn yeah. this way. Oh, there's a river. That's, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> Yeah, Fly over exactly the right. Oh, boy. What a mess. Speaking of messes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I think a, a second go would have been the ideal. Uh, yeah. Go around again, and uh, next time round, you'll know what you're looking for. So, Well, yeah, like you said, though, if it's possible to do a go around that late with the terrain. and whatnot, Yeah, don't know. Not sure. But still, yeah. it's pretty horrific. <laughs> yeah, it was not... Uh, the, I, it's not the video I would have shared on the social media, <laughs> and probably not one that you're going to see in in your training, uh, you know, like training videos to how to apply a stabilized approach into. Uh, it's high the it's in the what not to do category. Yes. Yep. That mm-hmm. is yep. what that is. Okay. Maybe that's why they were doing. Sometimes it. also instructional. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to share the screen again, and we're going to watch another video, but it's going to... Okay, this is going to be tricky for me, because I had the um, the live ATC recordings on this were um, the Boston Tower people were all nice and loud and clear, and the person in the incident aircraft um, was very hard to hear, so I had to run it through um, uh, the Levelator um, software, the Leveler sof- software, and because of that, I had to separate it from the video. So I have to press two things very quickly to try to get it to uh, be all synced up, if that makes any sense. So hopefully I'll get close. So let me, I have to set up the windows just right so this works. This is from Bass Aviation. And let me see if I can get the uh, sound clip ready to go. And we'll cross our fingers and hope that this works. Say again. Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima. Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, Boston approach, Roger. Boston altimeter 3020, say altitude leaving. Boston altimeter 3020, Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, say altitude leaving. Okay, and say up, Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, I need to verify your mode C. Say altitude leaving, please. Okay, standard, touching, one, two, three, thousand. Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, roger. Confirm robot three arrival, one five right transition. Okay, robot three arrival, uh, up, Bravo, Lima. And the one five right transition, correct, sir? Five right, uh, Fox, 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 Fox,
That's correct. Sierra 5 Trap Bravo Lima, I'm in the altitude, maintain 10,000, you descended too early. Okay, descend too early, 10,000, Fox Trap Bravo Lima. Papa Sierra 5 Trap Bravo Lima, maintain, climb and maintain 10,000, 10,000. Okay, maintain 10,000, Fox Bravo Lima. Papa Sierra 5 Trap Bravo Lima, fire your present heading, it's vectors iOS 15 right. Right, one, five, right, uh, Fox Trap Bravo Lima, maintain. 10,000. Papa Sierra, Fox Trap Bravo Lima, you're still descending. Climb 18, 10,000. Say speed. Okay, climb 10,000. Fox Trap Bravo Lima. Papa Sierra, Fox Trap Bravo Lima, say speed. Speed 220. Papa Sierra, Fox Trap Bravo Lima, maintain 250 knots. Maintain 250 knots, Fox Trap Bravo Lima, maintain 10,000. This year, Fox Trap Bravo Lima, turn 5 degrees right. 3, 5 degrees. Can you confirm the heading? Okay. Papa Sierra, Fox Trap Bravo Lima, stay heading. Okay, heading 035. Papa Sierra Fox Trap Bravo Lima, fly heading 040. Heading 040, Papa Sierra Fox Bravo Lima. Papa Sierra Fox Trap Bravo Lima, possible pilot deviation. I have a phone number when you're ready. Heading 040, Papa Sierra Fox Bravo Lima. Papa Sierra Fox Trap Bravo Lima, descend and maintain 7,000. Descend and maintain 7,000, Fox Bravo Lima. Papa Sierra, Fox Trap Bravo Lima. There is a possible pilot deviation. I have a phone number for you to call when you're ready. Are you ready to copy? Okay. Uh, ready to copy, Fox Bravo Lima. Maintain heading. Papa Sierra, Fox Trap Bravo Lima. Possible pilot deviation. Advise you contact Boston Consolidated Tracon at 1. Eight seven seven five three zero nine or whatever that is. Upon landing. Okay, after I will call Fox Bravo Lima. Fox Bravo Lima seven thousand heading zero four zero. Papa Sierra Fox Bravo Lima Boston approach. Roger, expect a left turn to the downwind shortly. Left left turn, Fox Bravo Lima. Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, turn left at 330, descend and maintain 6,000. Left turn, 330, descend 6,000, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima. Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, contact approach, 118.25, 18, 25. 118.25. Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima. Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima. Bravo Lima, Boston approach, Roger, Fox Star turn, expect vectors for the uh, visual approach, or the, what would you like, the ILS? Join the ILS, uh, Fox Star Bravo Lima. Zero, Fox Star Bravo Lima, Roger, for now, just uh, continue on your present heading, maintain 3,000 vectors for the ILS, runway 15 right. Okay, descend 3,000, expect ILS, uh, 15 right. Press up to 24, 6.7 for 6,000, we have uh, Fox Truck, it's 4 to 210. 
Clear South Mount South, 2000 Southwest, Crow South, one time right, 13 Southwest, 244. Yes, 13, turn on 128.8. 128.8, yes, 13. There were 5260 out of 10.5, sending via with Foxtrot. There 5260, Boston, first information, golf now, current altimeter 3020, expect the ILS runway 15 right, 55 golf, please. Alright, we'll get golf and uh, 15 right, 5260. Papa Sierra, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, turn right, heading 040. 040, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima. Officer Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, 5 miles from Woober, turn right heading 130. Maintain 3000 until established on the localizer. Clear to ILS runway 15, right approach, speed your discretion. 130, uh, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima. 3000, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima. Officer Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima, just make sure you're capturing uh, glide staff, please. Yeah, on ILS, Foxtrot, Bravo, Lima. Okay, you just make sure you're capturing, capturing the localizer too. Okay, Foxtrot, Bravo Lima. And, uh, here, Foxtrot, Bravo Lima. Roger, I'm showing you rejoining now. Just maintain 3000 until you're established, then you are cleared for the ILS runway 15 right. Roger, intercepting the glide now, Foxtrot, Bravo Lima. Maintain 3000. And just verify you are cleared for the ILS runway 15 right. Yeah, ILS 15 right. Papa Sierra Foxtrot Bravo Lima contact Boston Tower on 128.8. And everybody lived happily ever after. Which is very good and a yeah. little surprising. <laughs> right? Wow. That was wow, something. Painful. Um, quite a saga, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. Now, and we've been watching all the comments in the uh, live audience, and, uh, and we, I think we're all in agreement that uh, this pilot, who was uh, you know, flying, well, at least talking on the radio in uh, Papa Sierra Fox Trot Bravo Lima, wow, that's a mouthful, uh, was um, probably not um, the most expert English speaker. I guess the uh, we've established the airplane is registered in Brazil. And uh, English is probably not that pilot's first language. Um, but that explains the communication, maybe. But uh, I'm not sure that it explains uh, kind of blowing through altitudes. I guess I shouldn't use blowing. Uh, uh, breaking altitude requirements. Uh, altitudes, sort of the localizer, everything yeah. in between. Yeah. So it was Never more seen. than just a, a language um, issue. Uh, it was, you know, a flying issue too, it seems. I don't know. Oh, no, I agree 100%. Uh, yeah, the, um, the fact that he wasn't uh, able to uh, come out with accurate headings uh, when requested, and that's a pretty simple request, you know, what mm -hmm. heading you're flying. Yeah. Say altitude, uh, say heading, yeah. say, you know, exactly. say speed. Uh, a lot of that. There are two, obviously two guys in the flight deck. I heard what well, sounded like almost like three vo different voices. I heard at least uh, two distinct voices. Yeah, two. I think yeah. I heard. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it just it, it just sounded like they were very, very, very tired or very unfamiliar and having real problems uh, working the aircraft. So I don't know what the deal was. I'm, I'm sure they'll find out because they've got a phone call to number. But 
Well, just a couple of points <laughs> from the other side of the coin, as it were. Um, I'm, I'm not sure when you're dealing with someone who's got obvious problems, if if it's appropriate to give them that phone number whilst they're in the middle of trying to get their plane on the ground. Yeah, you know, whether they're on the ground. I, sure. Or, I you know, a, completely different phase of flight or on the ground, like you said. Um, yeah. I actually heard that yeah. the other day. Someone, um, unfortunately, in our airspace received a phone number, but it was clear that it was for something that had happened on their departure, and then they were returning, and that's when they had a yeah. phone number to call. I, I mean, I personally think it's very bad form to give it to anyone when they're airborne, because what are they going to be thinking for the rest of their flight? Yeah, mm-hmm. They're going to be thinking, oh, my God, what the hell have I done? What's going to happen? Am I going to lose my license? Uh, wait till the chaps or the lady, or whoever it is, is safely on the ground, and then give them the number, because mm-hmm. there's the I mean, little damage like they can do. <laughs> not be in contact. I mean, unless they're landing someplace where they're not going to have um, contact with a control. Well, you know, presumably there's a way to follow up in, in case yeah, they ignore the request. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a way, it must be a way to follow up and, sure. and find out. But it could be I like, like that, that guy in Arizona, that uh, or Nevada. No, that it, was, said, it was Las Vegas, yeah. Las Vegas, Henderson, I think he was going into. I'm yeah. flying. I can't copy down you can't the number. Copy I'm flying. Yeah, I'm too busy. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not going to call you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and there were a few other things there. Once you realize the guy's having real problems, um, the standard kind of clearance for the ILS includes a height, a heading, a speed, and an ILS clearance. Uh, he was having problems reading back the simplest of instructions. Mm-hmm. Now, I know it's a standard call, but the air trafficker, in my mind, should have broken those up into at least two transmissions. Mm-hmm. So give him a heading and a speed, and then give him the height and the clearance, or however he wants to do it. But let him acknowledge the first two and get that bit sorted out, and then give him the next two, because you know, I, I just felt at times he was being completely overwhelmed. Sure. You know, I think this is a more basic issue, too. And, um, you know, everyone uh, in aviation expects that there's some degree of English proficiency, especially if you're flying, you know, a a fairly advanced jet into a large international airport. Um, But a lot of people, in my experience, are not comfortable, um, and especially native English speakers. I'll say this. A lot of native English speakers, and especially from this country, I'm just going to say those things, um, in my experience, are not comfortable talking with folks whose English is somewhat limited or um, less than proficient. Uh, I find a lot of times they just become louder and they don't realize that they have to break it up into smaller segments of information at a time for better comprehension. Um, I actually, I witnessed that quite a bit. Um, and a lot of people are not familiar with just slowing down, speaking normally still, giving it a little bit of extra time, repeating if it's clear that things were misheard, trying very hard not to become frustrated with that because it's not, frustration doesn't help anything there. It just makes the, the problems worse on both ends. Um, but it's if it's a skill that's not practiced like anything else, it's hard to know how to deal with those situations if you're not used to speaking to someone whose first language is not yours. Yeah, I cannot Good imagine. <laughs> like flying down to uh, Rio de Janeiro or, you know, Sao Paulo and... Uh, you know, them mm-hmm. speaking in, in Portuguese or Spanish. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, that must be very, very difficult. Oh, yeah. And yeah. If, you've ever, if you've been on the other side of that coin, you, you know how frustrating that can be as yeah. well. That first uh, controller, you could just hear as the, as the conversation went on, 
how his patience and frustration was growing. Okay. (laughs) You know, let me try this. That's a very, that's a very human response, but you have to be, you know, when you're in um, that type of environment where things are high pressure, um, fast paced, you have to know when it's important to slow down because sometimes slow becomes fast. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. I'd love to hear Adam's uh, comments uh, on that because I think uh, out of all the, uh, controllers that we hear from he has one of the most measured ways of dealing with these kind of problems um so uh, i'd love to know but it- um yeah uh, i was just going to say how daunting it actually is if even if you're a an english speaker the i found flying into america incredibly daunting when i started um you know trips across here uh, and um, it, it was, it, you know, pl- places with dreadful reputations for being hard to understand, um, you know, just used to really worry us. Uh, so mm-hmm. when you get used to it and you understand the phraseology and the terminology and the different procedures, then it becomes simpler. But the first few trips, uh, you know, a nightmare. That's why we've yep, talked about it so that. many times on the show that you have, I mean, there has to be more of an effort out there, even places like New York, Newark, uh, you know, Kennedy, LaGuardia, Newark, Boston, Boston. Logan, uh, for them to use standard IKO phraseology and not all the other stuff and slow it down. And, you know, it's just for everybody, not just the people that are, you know, English is their, not their native language, but even people, Americans and uh, UK citizens, where English is our primary language and it's still intimidating and and as you said nick once you kind of get used to it and you've done it a few times you kind of know what they're going to say and what they mean when they say certain things a certain way but wouldn't it be just so much easier if just everybody just stuck to the standard iko phraseologies and everybody i mean for probably 85 90 percent of what needs to be said outside of you know emergencies or something unusual happening uh yeah there should be fairly standard phraseology. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I agree, of course, but, uh, you know, to be fair, you're a, you're a big, big country and the vast majority of the traffic you deal with is a home traffic, mm-hmm. you know, Americans speaking to Americans. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's very hard to change the way in which you're delivering phrases uh, just to suit the foreigners. Uh, so, yeah. Yes, uh, Hillel makes a good point. We're kind of unique in that we, and it may be similar to places like Russia or China or some of the big countries and bigger countries in South America um, from landmass size. Um, we don't really have geographic need for beefy language buffer. That's an interesting way to say it, but I know exactly what you mean, Hillel. It's, you know, we don't have to, we're not trying to um, always, we don't, we don't have the struggle of trying to make ourselves understood very often. That's true. By the way, we found the perp. The perpetrator who gave us a dislike. Was it Laura Davis? It was Laura Davis. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that can't be. That can't be. Our Please biggest say. supporter. Yeah. Well, I she know. was Turned... last week. Yeah, yeah well. last week. What a difference a week makes. Arnold, I guess. I guess. <laughs> we loved your feedback uh, earlier, Laura, uh, at uh, Posing Bases at Oshkosh. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Brilliant. Well, our last news item, I believe, um, is a good one. It's a doozy. Uh, Now, if you're um, watching the show live, 
and maybe even in the recorded version, and you are traveling in your car with young kiddos or whatever, you might uh, there's some words in here that might be sensitive. Earmuffs. So, yeah, earmuffs, please, or just skip forward ahead, uh, I don't know, two two minutes, three minutes, something like that. Uh, just a fair warning. And uh, But I think that yeah. uh, the rest of us are really going to enjoy this. Yeah, so, I love this. Here we go. ...of a belligerent passenger causing sheer chaos in the air. And it got so bad that flight attendants had to duct tape the man to his seat. Ever since masks were required on airplanes, flight attendants say that their work has become downright dangerous. Now understand something. I'm a flight attendant. That means I attend the flights. Sometimes our job has us attending to crazy people. If you push us too far, you're going to have to attend this ass whooping. You see, because on this particular flight, I'm sitting in the jump seat and I'm just looking at him act a damn fool. <laughs> He's spitting and cussing and going crazy. I say, that's enough. I got up and I walked over there. And by the way, this man smelled like a pack of Marlboro cigarettes, uh, four shots of Everclear alcohol and regret. So I know something's about to go down. At this point, he touching all over my co-worker's breast. And where he f***ed up at is when he touched my titties. Because I don't play that. So what I did is I took out the duct tape. I said, <laughs> he got scared, start stuttering, say, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. I said, yeah, we about to mummify your ass now, boy. So we wrapped him up. Better than any Christmas present you ever see. He won't be coming on no more Frontier flights at all. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know about that. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, absolutely classic. I love that guy. I love the guy's sound effects. And when he, oh, he did yeah. the, the, the duct tape stretching out, it sounded just like duct tape. Marlboro cigarettes, Everclear, and, and regret. Regret. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's classic. I love it. Absolutely loved it. Oh, man. Well, just one funny guy. So good. Yeah, that guy has a career ahead of him, I think, in comedy oh yeah <laughs> he might he not have a one. he may not have a job with frontier anymore but well, i don't know i <laughs> think he just gave their airline the most fantastic boost i think that's brilliant yeah i was like oh these are the kind of flight attendants frontier has yeah Sign me up. i'll take a trip yeah i thought the yep. southwest flight attendants were funny but no yeah no no no, <laughs> no <guy> contest <laughs> well alfredo brilliant job brilliant job mate. very good all right. Well, guess what time it is? It's getting to know us time. <clears throat> All about us. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me too. I'm gonna get you the actual lyrics. Well, you to say this that every time, and I do. I you know. know I have the words, and uh -huh. and I'm awfully darn close to the right Pretty words. Close. Pretty, Pretty darn close. close. Anyway. That's the time of the show where we kind of talk with each other and get all caught up. And first of all, everybody, well, I don't know. If you're listening to this way off into the future, you may not even have noticed that uh, that we had a little break. Uh, let's see, our last show, I guess, was a couple of weeks ago. And last week, we took that week off. And it's the end of this week. I think that was just it. We just skipped one week, right? Just one week. Yeah. So it wasn't too bad. Oh, felt like more. Yeah, um, because I really missed you all. 
my crew and of course the audience. And uh, so let's see. Shall I just start off with? Yeah, yeah if you want to. Not? I was going to yeah. about to send a, a message, but I do. I okay. told you that I have to make a quick phone call. I'm going sure. to step away and do that while you yeah. catch everyone up and okay. then go on to Nick if I'm not back. And if Very I'm good. still lollygagging, send me a message and tell okay. me to get my. Well, first of all, have Steph, did you notice anything about my lip? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you? Yeah. Did you hear that? What I did? I. I. I uh, uh-huh. For many, many years. A little birdie told me the okay. story of this. So yeah. I'm going, yes, so, I do know what happened. Well, first of all, I, let me... I will rejoin in, in just okay. a few moments. Okay. Okay. Let me set the um, set the scene for you. Um, and I've mentioned this on many shows, the last several episodes, that things have been, certain things have been happening in my personal life. And, um, and I actually did a, a crew log that uh, I uh, had out for maybe a couple of hours, and then somebody that I know, who uh, I whose opinion I respect, talked to me into pulling it down uh, because they said that that could work against me. So, um, yeah, thank you, person. You know who you are, uh, who convinced me to do that. Um, and I basically, in the crew log to the uh, patrons of the show, explained what was happening with my personal life. And I can't go into a lot of detail right now. And I'm, you know, maybe someday in the future when we're together in a bar somewhere, I can, you know, give you all the juicy details about it. But just uh, so you know, I'm going through a divorce. Uh, my wife of almost 39 years um, in October will be th- our 39th wedding anniversary um, filed divorce. And so we're going through the uh, the motions of that. So it's kind of an emotional time for me. And um, I just needed to do some prep work for some um, questions that uh, were required of me, uh, interrogatories, that kind of thing in the legal system, for those of you who are familiar with the law and legalities and such. Um, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of stuff going on with that. And I was really finding it hard to stay focused on, um, well doing my job like flying airplanes and going to training and so i ended up dropping a couple of trips and i dropped my training or moved my training to to the end of this month um and um yeah and then i thought the the show um as much as it is kind of a therapeutic thing for me um was also i i just couldn't focus on that either and so that's why uh we decided to go ahead and just put this thing on pause, take a nap as, uh, as Nick said in his uh, graphic that he uh, posted on the, on the social meds. So, uh, yeah. And it's still going, you know, I don't know how long this is going to, this pro this is my first divorce. I've only been married once and uh, I don't know how long this is going to go, but I, I don't think it's going to be a contested thing. I don't think it's going to be, I mean, we're, you know, we're still talking to each other and that sort of thing. So we're working all that kind of stuff out and, uh, we've decided that we need to sell our home and so we have all, you know, all the anxiety and, and uh, issues with, you know, the sale of a house, that sort of thing going on at the same time. I also moved, um, pretty much moved out of um, my house, the APG headquarters. And that's why I'm in the new APG headquarters, uh, a cabin in the woods. I'm up in the northeast corner of Georgia, not far from Clayton, Clayton or Clayton, uh, Georgia. It's a, a town in the uh, Georgia mountains, in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, and uh, I'm on the very northeastern tip of uh, Lake Burton, or Lake Burton, as they like to say up here, 
And it's beautiful. Uh, big mountains all around me and a beautiful lake that's a five-minute walk away. I'm renting the cabin. It's fully furnished, so I didn't have to bring a lot up here with me. In fact, what I did bring up here, uh, there's not a lot of room for it. Not a lot of storage space up here, so I had to rent a storage unit as well. But uh, I'm still getting settled in here. I'm in the uh, back um, covered porch, I guess you could call it, back um, deck that's a screened-in porch. Very beautiful. There's a nice, uh, behind me, a nice um, outdoor fireplace, which is going to be nice when it starts getting to be a little bit cooler. I can have some fires and that sort of thing there. And a one-bedroom cabin. It's very, very cozy and quaint, and uh, uh, I love it. And so that's where I'm going to be until the end of May next year. The uh, people that own the place, they like to come up here from Florida uh, in the summertime, uh, June and July. So if I decide that uh, I'm going to stay here beyond uh, May of next year, then I'm going to have to move out for a month or two, uh, which shouldn't be a problem. And uh, so that's my situation. Uh, again, going through you know this personal issue um, that uh, never expected to, uh, to go through, but hey, that's life, right? So um, that's what's been happening with me, and that's all really I will share on this public forum. Uh, but uh, yeah, I look forward to doing many more shows here in the cabin or on my trips. And I'm resuming flying on Wednesday of next week, uh, Wednesday through Friday trip. Uh, right offhand, I can't remember exactly where I'm going to be, but I could probably look it up really quickly. Um and I think one of the places is Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, a beautiful little town. Nope, I'm wrong. That's the that's a different trip. Going to be in um, Rochester, New York, and Jackson, Mississippi, on my next trip, Wednesday through Friday. And uh, then I moved, as I mentioned, I moved uh, training, a recurrent training, to the end of this month, 28th and 29th. So at some point, I'm going to have to get back in the books and make sure that I'm all prepared for that. But uh, So I have all this stuff going on simultaneously, but man, I really missed the, the my APG family because you guys mean so much to me, and uh, uh, I, I just can't express enough, you know, how important you all are to me and for me to do this with my best friends, uh, my co-hosts on the, on the show. And... Uh, Need to mention that Liz, um, bless her heart, Liz, I miss, I don't know if you're listening right now or not. Uh, she has very limited internet connectivity up where she is. She is in a cabin up in uh, north, of Can- uh, north of Canada, north of Toronto. Uh, I don't know exactly what they call that region, but there's a beautiful, beautiful lakes uh, up there. And she's in this beautiful cabin that she likes to do every year for a couple of weeks. And so she's not here. That's why this show is a little bit uh, uh, not as, well, I really shouldn't say that. It's never really that slick, is it? (laughs) But uh, anyway, we miss you, Liz. I miss you saying sweet little nothings in my ear while we're doing the show. Um, But uh, I look forward to you coming back and um, going full forward uh, with what you normally do day in and day out, week in and week, week out on this. I mean, she is so important uh, in our on our crew. And uh, when she leaves, it really makes me realize how much, um, you know, I take or maybe we take uh, her for granted. So, Liz, we miss oh, you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, She's a cornerstone now, isn't she, Jeff? I might just add that there is a wonderful outpouring of love and support from the chat room. Just too many super comments uh, to put up, uh, but uh, it's great to hear everyone wishing you well in this difficult time. Thank you. And that really means so much to me. I mean, you guys are, are you're not just like family, you are family to me. And... I think I'm not the only one that feels that way. Um, Absolutely. However, there are a few that just want to come up to your place, new place and party. Oh, well, you know, that's, uh, we, let's talk. <laughs> oh, I should also mention, so my, uh, my mail, snail mail situation is a little, you know, I've already had issues with that in the past, right, uh, Stefan, <laughs> with the gin. Um, right now, um, really the only address that I have is that P.O. box. And so uh, let's let's do this deal. If if any of you want to send me something to my PO box, it's just a small little PO box. So if you send a parcel or something like that, um, I get a little notice in my PO box, and I have to um, react to that uh, as you know pretty quickly. Otherwise, they send the item back to the sender. Uh, so if any of you, and I'm not asking you to do this, but if you were to do something like that, please email me. Let somebody know here on the crew that you have sent something to me to the P.O. box and to be expecting or looking for it so that I don't make that mistake again. This cabin up here, it's interesting. I looked around. I thought, huh, where's the mailbox? There's a mailbox in the cabin next door, but there's no mailbox on this one. And so I went to the local post office in Clayton. I said, "What, uh, what do I do about that? And they said, well, you need to have a mailbox installed if you want mail at the cabin. And so I thought, oh, that means I have to talk with the landlord and all that kind of stuff and fill out some forms. And I thought, eh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that or not. Um, that's still kind of up in the air, uh, but uh, we'll see. But so now P.O. Box 2191 Roswell, Georgia 30077 is my address. And uh, yeah, so if you do send something, please send me an email, jeff at airlinepilotguy.com. Let me know that you've sent something so I can look for it so I don't screw it up. So. Uh, the mail situation there. Um, what else? Um, oh, I was going to uh, let everybody know that uh, Rick couldn't be uh, with us today on the show. He was planning to be, but uh, his schedule changed at the last minute. And uh, well, the control room is uh, saying something to me that he might be he might be on the other line. On some, well, he has some video. Rick, I recognize that person. Rick. Can you, can you hear us, Rick? Rick? Well, he looks like he's talking to somebody. Rick? What's he doing? I don't, he's, he's ironing a shirt. Oh, look. Oh, he, he must hear us. He just looked at the camera. Yeah, okay. So what are you doing there? Uh, he says he's ironing his shirt for his yeah. next trip. Okay, very good. Oh, you, He's okay. not ironing his shirt. You are. I can tell you're ironing a shirt. Yeah, no, he's no point shaking your head. <laughs> well, okay. Apparently, uh, he can't hear us. Um, so that's that's what Rick well, is with doing. With all right that now. steam, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that uh, that he's doing something. Um, I wish that he were if here. he takes if he takes that long to iron one side of his shirt, <laughs> he's going to take forever to do a whole bunch of them. 
It's very important to make sure that each and every one of those fibers is thoroughly steamed. Well, yeah, you'd never get a job in a Chinese laundry, I tell you that for nothing. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't make a lot of money. It would take no. like 10, 15 minutes per shirt. It's just too long. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Um, Hillel says that where I am is about four hours. It's about four hours in 54T. I don't know what that means. Oh, in his airplane. Ah, 5-4 Tango. Yeah, you can fly into Tacoma. I think there are a couple places um, in the area here uh, that you can land your airplane. Uh, in fact, I was looking at one of those AirVenture um, emails that they were putting out while AirVenture was going on. And uh, one of the uh, couples that they were highlighting uh, were uh, are the couple that own the uh, twin engine, which I don't believe there are many of these. Twin engine, is it a Vans? It's a it's a um, experimental uh, aircraft. Uh, normally, they're only a single engine. This was a twin engine, and this couple uh, is from Clayton, Georgia, like ten minutes away. That's where I go to get my groceries and other stuff. Post office. So, um, yeah. So there's a seaplane on the lake. That sounds like a good yeah, idea. Yeah. No, that's not. This thing was not a seaplane that they were that they were flying, but uh, I would imagine that there must be some places on that. It's not a really wide lake. It's kind of a narrow lake. It's a, it's a damn runway shaped. Yeah. It's not very runway shaped, but you could probably get an airplane down in here. Um, okay. Let's see. Let me get rid of that comment. (laughs) Glenn thinks you can land anywhere once. That's true. (laughs) You can do anything you want at least once. Yeah. Oh, good point. Oh, Oh, Must okay. give it a go. Uh, what else did I want to talk about? Anything else? No, I, I had planned, by the way, to rent an RV uh, like the one that I have put some money down on, a down payment on, uh, and I'm not supposed to receive delivery of until about this time next year or maybe a little bit later in the year next year. Um, and I was going to rent an older model of that, uh, leisure travel van up in uh, Galleon, Ohio. And I was going to drive it from there up to Oshkosh. And I was going to meet up with all the great folks that were there, uh, part of the aviation podcasting community. But then I, this all kind of blew up in my face and I had to be at a hearing on the 28th of July, which was like right in the middle of that week. And I thought, great, that blows that whole plan. And then I find out <laughs> just a couple of days before the hearing that um, they're they're not doing any of these hearings in person. They're all virtual via Zoom. And I said to my lawyer, uh, you mean I didn't actually have to be here in Roswell for this hearing? He goes, oh no. <laughs> Darn it. I could have been up. Well, probably just as well. I was kind of busy and focused on all that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't have been much fun up at Oshkosh probably. Anyway, so that is what's been happening with me. I'm going to uh, kind of slowly start moving back into um, flying trips and doing my recurrent training and uh, resume doing the show, which is such an important part of my life. So there you have it. Nick, what have you been up to? How about the uh, the bowls? How's that been going? Uh, well, it's been going very well. Nicely, we've uh, had a pretty good summer uh, up to till recently. Um, the weather in the UK has swung around a little bit. Now, normally, you know, in the summer months, uh, all the nasty weather systems pass to the north of the, of the United Kingdom. But uh, 
some evil jet stream has dragged them down to the south and they've been uh, we've had even a named storm come through so uh, we've still got low pressures uh, circulating around a lot of uh, very heavy rain uh, a lot of localized flooding uh, because mm. of the rain so you know not brilliant uh, and um, a bit cold too the temperatures dropped nastily mm. but not to worry uh the olympics is on so uh, every morning i get up and i make myself a lovely coffee and uh, i've got the olympics to watch uh instead which has been fun um the covid situation over here is interesting because uh we've got a very high percentage uh inoculated um so the, the hospitals uh, are coping pretty well but the uh, doesn't actually stop you getting infected you can have the vaccine and but you can still carry the virus it just doesn't affect you very much because your body is protected but um we have these apps that will ping us uh, if uh, someone who has been affected uh, has been in close proximity for X amount of time, and a lot of people are being pinged and being told to isolate, uh, that will ease uh, as yet more people get vaccinated. So, uh, But what I'm getting to is the fact that it appears that quite a few people I've bowled with have uh, um, become infected. So um, I personally haven't been pinged. Uh, Track and Trace haven't uh, singled me out. So I've just been taking a uh, a lateral flow test every couple of days and I'm still clear. So that's all fine and beautiful. It's just, uh, you know, it's just something to uh, uh, disrupt uh, what was actually being a very nice, uh, easygoing, very pleasant summer. Uh, And of course, missing, uh, you know, without the show to uh, work for, um, study and uh, prepare plain tales and things. I've been a bit of a loose end. Um, and I'm still getting over this uh, bad back. So I have had some pretty bad uh, uh, bouts of pain. But um, no, nice to know that uh, these things do eventually ease. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, being able to walk around with confidence now without worrying about Good. jarring myself and that sort of thing. So generally speaking, everything's very nice. Um, I, for those who I sort of um, uh, chatted to a, a few people, uh, I'm still um, looking at having a UK meetup um, in uh, probably the second half of September because that's when I'll be free and we can pick a date that suits most people. Um, so uh, if How about you the ninth? are... Well, that's the first uh, No, because I'll be holidaying. Uh, ah. we, we've got a, a cottage in uh, Cornwall booked. Ah, we'll that's uh, next birthday, week. by the way, the 9th of September. <laughs> the 9th, the 9th, yes. Easy one to remember. My family got a very easy birthday to remember. One is the 6th of the 3rd. I'm the 9th, the 9th. We've got one exactly halfway through the year on the 1st of July, and the other is the 22nd of the 2nd. So numerically they're always very good i like that um yeah so second half of uh, september so if uh, if you fancy meeting up uh in the south of england probably going to be a little airport which uh was where i got my first aviation job and i also took my first uh powered solo and basically kicked off uh, that time a very meager air flying career but it was the start, uh, so it's called Fair Oaks Airport. 
which is just north of Woking uh, in uh, Surrey. Uh, they've got a nice restaurant there. Uh, it'll probably be a, a day on the weekend, uh, I suspect, since uh, a lot of people work still. So obviously, uh, you know, people can get away at a weekend. So looking at a weekend, second half of September, for our lunchtime meetup at Fair Oaks. And uh, if anyone has any uh, other suggestions to, you know, vary that or a particular date you would like, then uh, please uh, email me or get hold of me on uh, social media and make a suggestion. But uh, um, if you can, uh, get some time free. Uh, I'd love to uh, join anyone who can... Uh, come along and uh, we'll sit and uh, have a few beers or coffees and lunch and talk aeroplanes and we can watch uh, what happens at the little airport of Fair Oaks. That sounds like fun. A lot of fun. I hope so. I haven't had uh, a UK meetup since Goodwood uh, a year or two ago. So that's great. And you know what they say about that? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. What's, what's that, that about Jay? what? I'm sorry. Goodwood. Uh, I don't know. Goodwood. Um, oh. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know what? I just realized that I kind of forced myself off track there when I was, I started by talking about my upper lip and then I started telling you about the divorce and then I forgot to go back to what I was talking about right off the bat. And then Steph's thinking, that's what he was talking about when I left. I left. He's still <laughs> talking yeah, about like his mustache. for like 15 minutes and I know. you're still I on know. the same Okay, so I, let I me was... finish that thought up, okay? Uh, so for many, many years, I've had this, uh, or well, before I shaved it off, uh, mustache for almost 33 years. And yeah, the same mustache. It's got a bit dirty over the it, years, hasn't it? Yeah, and it's, and it's gotten, uh, it used to be really dark uh, along with my hair, and now everything is much lighter for some reason. Uh, but uh, so for, for so many years, my wife and my children told me, do not ever shave your mustache you can't we're not going to allow that and so when this is all happening i'm thinking well i don't have anybody to tell me not to shave my mustache anymore and so i so many times i got so close to shaving it off and i thought nope i chickened out but this one night and i don't think i had a lot to drink it was just I, my courage was up and i went i'm going for it and i shaved it off and i looked at myself with the bare lip and i thought there's a reason that they told me not to shave it off because it looks ridiculous. So uh, I, I immediately, I don't think I even shaved it again. As, as soon as I shaved it off, I went, nope, I'm growing it back. So right now I've got about two weeks worth of, um, of growth and uh, shan't be That's long. That's the real before. reason we haven't been on air. First. Yeah, really. I was too yeah, embarrassed. Yeah, we, we could not have that. <laughs> yeah. I could have gotten it'd one be, of those little it'd fake be traumatizing ones. traumatizing for... Uh, well, I was just going to say, do you remember in uh, Oshkosh yeah. when we went? We've got a pizza in it. I had yep. a fake moustache in it. I could have done one I, of those. Um, yeah, you, you stuck one on your, up in your nose. And yeah, I nobody would have noticed. Would, <laughs> no, they couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, so that was dumb. I shouldn't have shaved my moustache off. But hey, you know, I'll, maybe in another 33 and 33 years or so, I'll shave it off again. Yeah, I won't be alive, probably. But anywho, uh, that is the, the story of my moustache. And it'll be back, hopefully, in all its glory soon okay um steph perfect timing yeah uh what's been going on with you hmm uh that's a good question what has been going on with me i think just the usual i've been exceptionally busy um jeff even 
made a comment one time, like in the past two weeks, he was like, hey, hope everything's okay. Haven't seen you like on the social meds or anything. And I was like, oh, um, yeah, I guess I haven't been on the social meds very much. And um, honestly, it's just because I've been working and it's been super nice here with the summer weather. So I've been outside a lot. I've been doing a lot of running. I've been flying on the weekends. Um, nothing that really super stands out as being interesting or different or... I'd like to say that in the past two weeks, since we haven't done the show, I had some interesting event happen in my life, but mine's been pretty, pretty boring, uh, or at least the same. I don't know if my life's ever boring. No, uh, yeah, try, not, never, try not to keep ever it boring. Say that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you yeah. know, you, you were, uh, you went to that swim meet, uh, since our last show. Was that since the last show? Yeah. Oh, really? I think it was. Hmm. I don't because you told us okay. you were going to be swimming okay. in the nationals, but okay. I don't think well, we I actually. Well, you in on the the results, um, yeah. So uh, I I put, uh, and this is I'm not um, minimizing uh, anything that I did or accomplished there, but let's just say that I put very little to no training into um, preparing for this particular swim meet. Um, and this you year. beat everybody anyway. <laughs> well, I got I I I will say this. And if you would like to go and look up the results, they're freely available online so you can see how good or not good of an accomplishment it actually was. But in the 100 IM, I took seventh place. And in the 50-yard backstroke, I took second place Ooh. In, my, in my age group. I uh-huh. say that. And in the 100 free, I think I came in fourth. Excellent. Uh, so oh, good job. Yeah, that all sounds very good. Um, some of the slowest times I've ever swam in those events um, since I was maybe like 12, but again, I, I did not expect any great miraculous, uh, swimming accomplishments from myself. It was just something to do fun, different and, and get myself kind of, um, I don't know, a little cross training, do something a little different and, and have some fun. Yeah. Excellent. And actually this weekend I'm uh, doing a triathlon as well, which I've only ever done one of those oh before, my God. but this one is. Ah, now is, we understand. Yes. How are you at riding bicycles? Not good. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> not good. <laughs> Stay out of the way. Let, let, uh. let me just say this: I, uh, I, uh, I own a bicycle. I know how to ride a bicycle, uh-huh. um, but competing against other people and like racing a bicycle is not something I ever ever do. So. Um, fortunately the, the, this is a mini try and the biking part is only a 10 K. So I think I will probably survive because yeah, I actually haven't even, I haven't even been on my, uh, bike trainer in, I don't know. I always think the hardest part is when they switch from one element to the other the transition. Yeah. Uh, like you see him hopping along, trying to put on trainers to run and, and, you know. Yeah. So that's all, that's all in the setup. So I figured, figured my strategy, you know, I actually have like all this gear and like race kit stuff. Um, but since it's a short race, it's 250 yards of swimming. It is a 10 K of biking and then, uh, or cycling and then a two mile run. So I think I'm not going to bother with much of the transition stuff. I'm going to obviously swim, um, might even just leave my cap on. Like, why bother taking it off? Who cares? Um, yeah. I'll just shove my shoes on my feet, jump on the bike. Not going to bother, like, change. Like, I'll just have my regular swimsuit on. I'm not going to wear, like, triathlon gear because it's not, like, an open water swim or something weird. Uh, it's going to be warm outside. I'll just ride my bike in my swimsuit, and then I'll just do my run in my swimsuit, and I'll already have my shoes on. There you go. 
Where, where I'm, are I'm you? Borrowing a, I'm be? borrowing a bicycle because it's not here at home. Um, so my just get we, one with a soft determined. saddle. If you're wearing your swimsuit, have a soft saddle. I, unfortunately, I have no control over that. Um, the bike is already it's it's assembled and has a seat on it. Just don't I've, sit down. I've never seen it, uh, so I don't really know. Um, it belongs to a friend. <laughs> But we did determine that my clip-in shoes do not, they're not compatible with her clips. Uh, so I'm just going to have to wear regular shoes. Where's this going to be? Uh, uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. Ah, uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't get mugged. The suburbs. Suburbs, Nick. <laughs> suburbs. Also, I've been to Chicago many times. I've never, I've not been mugged in Chicago. Oh, you don't know. You just don't know. I don't know. Yes. Actually, just wearing a swimsuit, there's not a lot they can mug you for, is there? <laughs> no, I mean, I'd she be... She have anything to take. I mean, no. the, shoes are, the shoes are pricey, and the bike would be pricey. Oh, well, they I think it'll be that. on the course, so hopefully there'll be some protection there. That's good. It's definitely the suburbs, and it's... The, the chances of mugging are probably minuscule to non-existent. Cool. Especially at 7... Especially at 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday. Yeah, the muggers are always late risers. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you have fun. Fun? Yeah. yeah. I'll have fun. I yeah. Have, you're, definitely. You're a fun. sick person. Are you going to put a fun. GoPro on your head or something so we can see all this? Oh, yeah. should do that. I wasn't planning Live on stream. It. Oh, I think you should. Well, you don't have to live stream, but we want to see excerpts later. Um. Yeah, so I'm... I'm uh, I'm doing the race with a friend of mine. I'm sure her husband will be on the course, and he'll he usually has a nice camera and takes some photos. So. Cool. I'll see if I can. No, we want a GoPro. <laughs> we want the first we person. Look at the Steph I view. Experience. <laughs> yeah. It's a little tricky, but yeah. No, they just I don't, I don't it on know your forehead. Like the swim camp mounts, I don't think are in existence yet. Oh, oh hmm. it's a shame. I don't believe you. Okay, fair enough. All right. Well, I guess we're mostly all caught up and it's now time for us to acknowledge our wonderful coffee fund cadre, coffee bar fund people. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the ABG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Yes, that's Jeff Smith singing the Java Jive, the APG Java Jive. That's the music we play when we talk about the coffee fund and a couple different ways to do the coffee fund. One is the coffee fund classic method. And since the last show, we have Vigner, William, Tom, Alistair, and Randy uh, using the PayPal donation, either recurring or one-off contributions to the show the other way to be part of the coffee bar club is to join up and become a patron via patreon.com and since our last episode a couple of weeks ago we have two new producers peter doyle and levi halloran or levi levy levi i think and we also man this is big news here the very top tier $20 or more per episode. Yes, you heard me correctly. It's a senior executive producer level. We don't have many of those folks. We have a new one, though. His name is Sebastian Javari. Javari? Javari? I'm thinking. I don't know. 
haven't talked to Sebastian yet. I hope to soon in the future. And so thank you very much, uh, Sebastian, Peter, and Levi, for joining Patreon and becoming part of the Coffee Bar Club. And uh, I also want to mention the, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned that top tier Sebastian uh, has just joined. And um, from time to time, I should do this. Uh, We should mention those folks in that very top tier, just a handful of them. Sebastian is our newest. We have uh, Airbus driver, uh, doesn't want to give, she or he do not want to give their real names and really who could, who could blame them. Uh, William Birch, uh, Fitz James Muscadin and Asa Armin. So uh, thank you to all of our senior executive producers out there. We really do appreciate you. And if you want to join this great group of folks, and uh, become part of the Coffee Fun Cadre, please head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. So will we. All right. Now it is time for feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right, let's see. Let me scroll down here. Let's start off with uh, Jez. Um, He says, hello, APG crew and fellow APG crew groupies. The other day I was listening to LiveATC.net for San Diego, and I'm sure I heard an instance of an aircraft reading the letter U phonetically as upper and not uniform. Is this a terrible corruption of the Queen's phonetic alphabet, or is this terrible corruption of the Queen's phonetic alphabet a common thing? Or is this a mistake? And if so, are there any other mistakes that people commonly make from around the world where English isn't the native language? And are there any potential safety issues around that which people should listen out for? It brings to mind last year when I was flying my home simulator in VATSIM, which is a virtual ATC network provided by real people pretending to be air traffic controllers, supporting real people pretending to be pilots. A wonderful coming together of people online for the mutual enjoyment of all. Kind of like grinder for flight sim enthusiasts. Hmm. <laughs> not, sure, <laughs> not sure I would have used What's that. Very uh, tedious. Yeah. Uh, very worrisome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, or perhaps I don't fully understand what grinder actually is. Yeah. Uh, Je- somebody I, needs I to hope take that's gonna, the case. Go with that. Yeah, Someone Jess. can eliminate you. It won't be us. Yeah. Somebody who is friends with Jazz knows Jazz. You need to take him aside and explain. The whole grinder thing. Anyway, uh, when a virtual pilot used an incorrect phonetic word, albeit he corrected it instantly, his community of fellow sim flyers supported the somewhat embarrassed fellow in the only way we knew how. And for the next the next ten minutes, every aircraft at Innsbruck Lowy L O W I declared that they too had quote unicorns on board. Unquote. <laughs> well, unicorn is close enough to unicorn. Yeah, that's you can, awfully you can darn slide close. Slide that in there. <laughs> hey, maybe so. it's time we updated some phonetic words to inject a bit more fun into flying. Your thoughts? Well, uh, you'll have to go back uh, several um, plane tales, but uh, Nick, in fact, you did a, a reprise of uh, a reprise reprise of um, the phonetic alphabet uh, plane tale, didn't you? That was uh, absolutely, recently. yeah. The whole history of the phonetic alphabet uh, and all the various, uh, well, a lot of the various um, 
iterations that various letters have gone through, some of which are very amusing. Uh, I love them. Um, and it's, it's, a great, uh, it's a great subject to get into. But uh, the one we've had has been around since the 50s uh, and hasn't really changed, albeit, um, of course, back then, uh, the fidelity of radio was relatively poor. Nowadays, uh, radio is uh, often better than a telephone. So, um, you know, uh, it, it's very uh, easy to understand people and the use of it is often not absolutely necessary. So you do find people shortcutting a lot. Uh, F, F Foxtrot is often uh, abbreviated to Fox. Um, and um, the, the numbers, you know, you're supposed to say Niner. Um, instead of nine, but people very rarely do that. Or five, have a number three. Five. Tree. 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 Yeah, I, and yeah. Yeah, we all know them. I know, but you always just silly. You you feel silly when you say it on the radio, right? You do. Especially you do, if because, nobody else is saying it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And uh, it, it's very easy to get into, a ba- into bad habits. But having said that, when you're out across the Atlantic on a bad night trying to use HF... Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, yeah, that is when it becomes absolutely essential. Uh, and I've even resorted to the technique of words twice. Uh, so you say each word s- twice. It's just <laughs> stupid, isn't it? Because that's exactly what it says, words twice. But yeah, it, it is quite interesting to make a transmission where you're repeating each word twice so the guy at the other end has some chance of mm-hmm. um, understanding what you're saying because the signal can fade in and out and you'll often miss just part of a sentence and you'll often ask him to say again and would you believe it, exactly the same moment when you wanted to hear him, it fades out again and you're yeah. getting so frustrated because there's often a huge backup of people trying to make uh, themselves or g- get their reports in uh, and because of the problems, there's this vast backup. Everyone's frustrated. Everyone's trying to use the same frequency, which goes hundreds of miles. Uh, it all becomes a bit of a nightmare. But So it still has its place, but not nearly so much nowadays uh, as it used to. We should probably mention that, you know, you mentioned that uh, today's radio frequency technology is so much better than it was 50 years ago or more. Uh, but a lot of people that listen to our show... Uh, listen to some of these live ATC.net uh, recordings and thinking, oh, it doesn't sound very clear to me. Well, that is not what we normally hear. What you're no. hearing on live ATC.net are volunteers, people that are just have scan radio scanners set up that are recording all these frequencies. And sometimes the location of these antennas that they're using to pick up these VHF radio transmissions aren't ideally situated to pick up everything really super clearly and a lot of times they're recording or picking up more than one frequency yeah so it's just kind of prioritizing whichever one comes through first or clearer so it cuts out a lot of stuff right yeah and and these are ground-based uh mm-hmm. receivers so we know the signal is always distorted and shorter range when you're at the same height as the transmitter mm-hmm. when you're up in the air there's absolutely nothing to do distort or degrade the signal so an aircraft is hearing it very clearly whereas uh, the ground-based repeater s- uh, station not good I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because unless you're up too high and you're on a common traffic advisory frequency um, then you're picking up 
everything um, <laughs> for hundreds of miles and it's completely unusable garbage also, i love it uh, i love it so and once more everyone there. else for hundreds of miles is hearing you <laughs> yeah <True>. pro- probably <laughs> yeah. will you not shut up who is I'll that i hear these people dropping <laughs> jumpers from fourteen thousand feet now yes. oh, dear. notwithstanding uh jez's confusion with the uh, app grinder uh, we should probably <laughs> go to the very first part of his feedback and the reason why he sent it in. And he said that he thought he heard somebody improperly use the phonetic um, upper and not uniform. And I'm thinking to myself now, San Diego, um, let's see, I'm going to throw this uh, up here so we can look at the uh, overlay. San Diego is just north of the Mexican border and uh, the airways in Mexico um, are UL312, UJ20, UT18, UJ3. And those are typically, if I remember correctly, because I used to fly these kind of routes before, they call these upper, upper Lima 312, upper Juliet 20 or upper jet 20, etc. So maybe that's what you heard. Maybe that person wasn't using the, uh, the phonetic letter improperly. Just a guess. Just I thought I'd know. throw that out there. To be honest, I'm not certain on that. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I mean, in the old days, uh, I was talking to Jeff before the show, we were saying that in the old days, the air routes used to be colors. So you get uh, blue mm-hmm. 22 and red 3. And then Bingo. when you went to the higher level ones, it would be yeah. upper red 3 to separate them from the lower uh, mm-hmm. airways. Uh, and that, of course, when eventually they, you know, ran out of colours, <laughs> made them letters. They never, they didn't like consult with Crayola. <laughs> yeah, they can make up all kinds of names for colours. So yeah, colors. you could have uh, uh, cerulean. cerulean. You could have a scarlet <laughs> and uh-huh. yeah, chartreuse. Would have been. And yes, oh, well, that would have been sweet. I don't know, chartreuse, tangerine. Yeah, Just absolutely. Yeah, eggshell, blue, and all these things. But uh, no, uh, so uh, the U might be a hangover from that, but I'm because uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know myself. Well, Jazz. Uh, having said that, I very rarely named an airway when I was ever speaking to air traffic, unless it was a clearance. It may have been a clearance. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Jazz, I hope that answers your question. Perhaps I don't know. And get back to this. No, don't actually. Don't even talk to us again about Grinder. All right, uh, let's. <laughs> that's for uh, a different podcast. That's for a different, yeah. an X-rated podcast. <laughs> yeah, Tinder would probably have been a better, safer, safer, slightly okay. safer. Yeah, slightly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, do, you, do you know pilots are the most swiped right? I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I've not experienced that myself. The the profession who is most often swiped right, which I believe is the direction. That's for, a, is that a good thing? The, that's the preferable. Is direction? the good thing? Yeah. Ah, okay. uh, is an airline pilot. Oh, really? All right. That is the that most out. favored profession. <laughs> Dale Dale Williams thinks we're correct. Upper Lima yeah. sixty-seven. Thank you, Dale. Yep. Oh, I mean, even Dale is above fifty percent on occasion. Uh-huh. There we go. Wow, that takes some doing. Yeah, look at that. Woohoo! Yes. Oh, for a minute there, I thought Liz was with us. I oh. can't click on things fast enough to make Steven that. Stephen doesn't like that. That's false. <laughs> What's false? 
<laughs> what, what, Stephen? You need a, you need oh, a topic. Oh, uh, he has experience with uh, swiping right or swiping left, oh, apparently. Oh, oh. Ah, sorry, Stephen. <laughs> sorry about your luck there. Yeah. Sounds uh, like a personal uh, problem. Think, yeah. Yeah. Perhaps you're in the wrong all app. <laughs> all right, let's move off this app thing and move on <laughs> with uh, feedback number four from Matt. He said, I saw this article on Business Insider about a private jet airline company. He, he put airline in quotes. I was a little concerned when I saw this quote from the chief operating officer. Quote, if you go to buy a set of brakes for a Challenger 604 and you tell them you're buying them for a Challenger 604, it's going to be a $55,000 set of brakes, uh, Trey Smith Set Jet's chief operating officer told Insider. Set Jet. Oh, I get it. Instead of Jet Set, Set Jet. I guess. I don't know. Uh, you go to buy a set of brakes for a CRJ200. Same brakes, same part, different part number. It's only 5000 So less than 10% the cost of the brakes for the Challenger 604. He says, seems a bit sketchy for a commercial aviation company to be using incorrect part numbers to keep prices low. Any thoughts on the subject? Thanks. And again, that's from Matt. So I, I went and looked at this article uh, myself from Business Insider, uh, and it says uh, how SetJet makes money. SetJet has the heart of a low-cost airline that's offering a luxurious product, as illustrated by its choice of aircraft. Buying parts for Challenger 850s is cheaper because of the aircraft's alter ego, an airliner known as the CRJ 200, one of our favorites. If you go, well, they- and then the quote that he quoted before. So I think what the guy is saying is that because they're not flying Challenger 604s, but they're flying an airplane, the Challenger 850, which is basically the identical airplane as the CRJ200, they save money because they can use the part for the CRJ200 on their Challenger 850. That's what I gathered from it. Is that what you gather? Yeah, I don't think it's as bad as as Matt thinks here. But there is a history of aviation-related articles being hugely expensive. Oh, yeah. You know, the, uh, I, there's a quote, isn't there, from Congress, someone saying that, you know, a hammer's a hammer, but if it's a hammer for an airplane, it's $200 mm-hmm. instead of $10. And I remember my father telling me that uh, um, the cost of the plugs in the sink of his airliner, the VC-10 at the time, were just outrageously expensive because they were the plug for a, an airliner sink not just any old sink so they're now like 50 quid for a, a plug to plug up the sink so you know these things do happen well, and, I, and i'm not i don't blame the guy for trying to you know it's the same part i don't see how he's sacrificing safety in this if it's respect the, if it's the same jet the same part yeah. and he didn't wow. say anything about what the if you were going to buy the, uh, did it say in the article what the price was for the brakes for the eight fifty? I mean, I think he was just throwing out numbers uh, as examples, right? But basically, just gonna, it's a type of I'm just going right? to throw like certification out there yeah. and say that there's probably a document the FAA have agreed that requires you to fit these parts to your airliner, mm-hmm. and if it hasn't got the right part number, uh, they're probably going to come down on you. Sure, I would guess. Well, I hope the FAA doesn't go snooping around and looking at the part numbers of these brakes because they're going to be in trouble now. Well, yeah, exactly. And he's going to regret doing this interview with Business Insider. 
Anyway, but yeah. it, it is an important point. Uh, you know, this this inflation of prices for airliners just. You know, you look at the cost of an airline and you go, wow, that's, you know, $145 million. Well, yeah, if you're going to make everything, you know, 10 times more expensive than it actually costs to make, it's yeah. going to mount up. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. All right. Let's move on. Gary Cunahan sent us in some feedback. And uh, again, I'm going to share this window with everyone because he's got some pictures in here. Uh, he says, uh, why we don't fly close to obstruction lights. This was taken at Kenosha Airport last week. Now, he sent this in, I don't know, July 16th or 21st or something like that. Uh, this is not a foreshortening issue. The trees were on both sides of the obstruction lights and considerably higher. I didn't check the notums, the bunch of garbage stuff, but <laughs> didn't notice any uh, notations on the plates. And again, that's Gary Cunahan. And so here's a picture. The first one, you see a, a street light, and then you see a little red light um, over here. Uh, I guess that's one of the obstruction lights. But when you see, there's a tree right behind it. That the tree is, is obstructing the obstruction light. Yeah, it's like much taller than the obstruction light. Let's see, there's another. Um, he's given us a uh, airport diagram and uh, area diagram and uh, some of the obstacles in the area and the approach procedure the rnav gps to runway 15 at kenosha wisconsin and uh, here's another picture i guess from a different view <laughs> again some more obstruction lights um and uh again those towering trees and he says nope it's not a foreshortening issue here with the uh with the camera or the lens um yeah what, kind a, of what a fancy airport where they actually have obstruction lights though yeah, I mean, do I guess are they required? I guess they must be required to have those stuff, right? For certain mm. obstacles, a certain height that's within a certain distance on the flight path or whatever. For an RNAV approach, I don't oh. know. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I, it'll it'll be an FAA regulation somewhere. But you have to delve into the books to I'll find have to, it. I'll have to find that. Yeah. I'm curious to know exactly what it is because. So here's it's the, probably a regulation about the height of trees as well, but no right. one's paying attention to it. No. I suspect. And, and you know, as Steph said, uh, most likely people can't see the obstruction lights because the trees are obstructing the view of the obstruction lights. Maybe this is why I've never seen the obstruction lights. <laughs> that might be why. Well, uh, only uh, in summer. In winter, when all the leaves fall off, oh, okay, uh, you'll yeah. be able to see them fine. So you shouldn't be flying during this time of year when the trees yeah, have all the leaves Yeah, there should be a warning. Up. Obstruction lights obscured. It's probably in the no terms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As you said, the, the stuff that is... Uh, a bunch of garbage, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's see if I can find that. Um, that uh, here we go. That's what NODAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage. Thank you. I love that bloke. <laughs> me too. I can't. I, I can't think of whose voice it reminds me of. But it, it, I mean, obviously, it's his voice. But yeah, it reminds me of someone famous. Hmm. Perhaps the head of the NTSB. Hmm. I don't know. Hey, you've heard of that uh, other Captain Jeff? You know the good-looking one. Uh, Colonel yeah. Jeff. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm beginning to wonder about the good-looking bit, but there you go. <laughs> Carry on. Well, I mean, when he was younger, he was he was stunningly good-looking. Uh, but you're very still, small. <laughs> you're still, you still are, Colonel Jeff. We're just kidding. Everyone looks small to Nick. That's <laughs> no, that's true. Um, uh, you're, you're very tall when you're sitting in an eagle. There you go. Colonel Jeff says, couldn't resist sending this one to you. I'm sure I'm not the only one. Well. So far, you are, Colonel Jeff. 
Uh, it's an article from the NewYorkPost.com, NYPost.com. Uh, airplane star Robert Hayes hosts a series on mayhem in the skies. And Robert Hayes, who famously played sweating, jittery pilot Ted Stryker in the classic 80s movie comedy Airplane, hosts the new A&E clip series, Fasten Your Seatbelt. But it's not as campy as it sounds. Okay, well, maybe just a little. Hayes does have some street cred when it comes to Fasten Your Seatbelt, which uses footage from cell phones and security cameras to document airport and airline incidents, both humorous and shocking. I'll bet he'll have that one that we played today with the guy duct taping the passenger. <laughs> um, anyway, his yeah, his father was a Marine Corps colonel fighter pilot who won the Distinguished Flying Cross. Oh, so uh, Robert Hayes' dad was? That's yes. pretty cool. Uh, and Hayes is a licensed pilot himself. Um, he said, my dad cool. was in the Marines for almost 30 years and fought in World War II, Korea, and in Vietnam. He was an amazing wow. guy, says Hayes, 73, who learned to fly while starring in the 1979-1980 CBS sitcom Angie. I got my license, and I wanted to surprise my dad, he said. It was something I always wanted to do, and that was pre-airplane. People say, oh, you got your pilot's license because you did airplane. No, I actually got it before that. I haven't flown in a while. I was working on adding my, uh, or adding to my single engine land rating and was working on getting a rotorcraft helicopter rating, which was ridiculously fun. Then life came along and I didn't have the time and pretty soon it sort of slipped away a bit. Anyway, so uh, I can't wait to check out this new clip series on A&E, Fasten Your Seatbelt. It's uh, already premiered on Wednesday, July 21st. So it's out there already. Maybe some of you have already watched it. You should let us know if you have and whether it's any good. All right. Yeah, we'll have it to, sounds, we'll have to sounds it, like an actually. interesting one. I mean, people love looking at clips of uh, aviation incidents, and, you know, it looks like they're mixing them up with uh, some amusing ones as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, guys, I think that I know we're not quite at the two hour mark. I do apologize for the traffic noise behind me. <laughs> this road is, as I mentioned earlier, about 100 yards behind me. And some of these vehicles up here in the mountains are kind of noisy for some reason. Mm-hmm. They uh, haven't oh. uh, had to have any uh, maintenance inspection or uh, uh, state inspections Yeah, they for probably don't have emissions testing or anything up mm-hmm. here, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Only the, the counties that are in the metro Atlanta area probably gotcha. have to worry about that. Uh, Kelly Kirk says that he has seen it and it is interesting. So there you go. All right. So I was going to say, um, not quite the two hour point, but pretty darn close. And I, uh, think it would be best to, uh, not short shrift. Uh, is that right? Short shrift, um, short change, short change, anybody, um, with their feedback. And so let's go ahead and play this week's installment of the old pilots plane tales. And take it away, old pilot. The old pilot's plain tales. The Asso defense. When I embarked on my Air Force career, I had no idea just how much my experiences within the military were going to impact my life. But more than that, I was going to learn many lessons, some the hard way, 
but one in particular has always stuck with me and I have always tried, sometimes unsuccessfully, to live by it. It was a simple enough tenet. When you make a mistake, and everybody once in a while does, then come clean, admit your error, and face the consequences. Military authority has no time for obscuration, concealment, blame-shifting or denial, not when there are lives at risk. Admitting a mistake gives someone a chance to right the wrong and prevent further damage, allowing the situation to continue has the opposite effect. So whether it was fishing for drinks through the shutters of the closed mess bar, or admitting who it was who went through the circuit of Shobden Airfield at 250 feet and 420 knots, we always put our hands up and were ready to face the music, either by leaving a signed chit on the bar, admitting how much booze we had siphoned off, or ringing the airport manager and apologising yet again for frightening the locals. This attitude to life was typified by the attitude that if you were about to do something a bit close to the knuckle, it was probably better to ask for forgiveness afterwards than for permission beforehand. This straightforward attitude to life is followed by many, not just military types, and it's valued by many more, which is why we despise the mealy-mouthed attitude of some politicians who shift blame and deny responsibility for their corrupt deeds. Of course, it's not just our political leaders who suffer from moral failure. CEOs are paid millions, up to three and four hundred times the average salary of their corporate minions, to steer their companies through storms of competitive capitalism. When they fail, they collect more millions to go away, dangling from their golden parachutes. Corporate titans get paid regardless of success or failure. It's great work if you can get it. I'm certainly not trying to put myself on a pedestal, as those who know me are well aware of my many failings. But I truly believe that taking responsibility for one's actions is something to aim for. Sadly, there are also many who think such Boy Scout honesty is something that should be left behind in childhood, but luckily not many of those take on the responsibility of becoming a career pilot. So when I discovered recently that there is a name for this capacity to openly admit guilt for one's mistakes, it didn't come as a surprise that it was named after a pilot, Captain Ushaw. The Usho defence is taught in business studies as the frank acceptance of blame when something is essentially your fault. Its value is that it earns more respect than the use of petty excuses or attempts to avoid blame altogether. In the world of aviation, I would go on to say that, as a captain, it should be expanded to cover the actions of your crew. After all, 
The captain is ultimately responsible for everything that happens on board their aircraft, and the buck stops there. If you're not sure why Captain Asso's name is associated with this disarming form of defence, you would have to go back to the 22nd of November 1968. Kohi Asso was a former flight instructor for the Japanese military and had more than 10,000 hours of flight time in commercial airliners, including more than 1,000 hours in the DC-8, the most modern aircraft in Japan Airlines' fleet. His American first officer, Joseph Hazan, was also an ex-military pilot with over 10,000 hours of flight time, although not a lot in the DC-8. The Douglas DC-8 was a four-engined, narrow-body airliner of the late 1950s built initially in competition with Boeing, Convair, Fairchild, Lockheed and Martin for the contract to build the new KC-135 refuelling tanker, when they failed to win, Donald Douglas decided to continue with the project, converting the design into an airliner. With their previous experience in building large military jets, Boeing had the jump on everyone – when they showcased the 707, but several airlines put in orders for the DC-8, including Japan Airlines. Although it was an early generation of jet airliner, it had some sophisticated systems, including an instrument landing system that would couple to the autopilot, allowing it to fly the aircraft down to the minimum break-off height, and then allow the pilots to complete the landing by hand. One of the DC-8s that JAL purchased was Juliet Alpha 8032, named Shiga, after the district that lies at the eastern foot of the Hira Mountains. It was delivered on the 27th of May 1968, only six months before Captain Asho would climb on board with his first officer, flight engineer, navigator and seventh cabin crew to fly it from Tokyo to San Francisco's international airports. Their passengers numbered 96, including six infants for the eight-and-a-half-hour flight. Their departure was delayed for nearly half an hour for maintenance work that needed to be done on the back of the main instrument panel. This included relocating the static pressure system hose to the captain's altimeter, the hose that delivers the outside air pressure, to allow the altitude of the aircraft to be properly measured by the altimeter. The maintenance crew were obviously under pressure as they overlooked the static leak check that would normally be required. After a normal takeoff, the crew received a nose gear unlatch light, indicating that the wheel hadn't locked itself in the up position, but this fault was cleared after the gear was recycled down and up again. The flight progressed across the Pacific Ocean, with their navigator keeping the aircraft on course using long range navigation systems and a sextant to track their progress, although the captain did notice that his altimeter was reading slightly higher than the other instruments by a couple of hundred feet. As they approached San Francisco, 
their only real concern would have been the weather at their destination. The forecast they had received showed that they were expecting fog and low cloud along the American west coast, with ceilings varying from 0 to 300 feet and visibility from 0 to 2 miles. As they came closer, the actual conditions indicated an indefinite ceiling of 300 feet and a visibility of 1 mile, and 8 earlier flights had landed successfully. Captain Asso set up his approach, which was going to be an autopilot-coupled instrument landing system approach to runway 28 left. By all accounts, the approach was flown smoothly and accurately, with a constant rate of descent, although the captain did engage the inboard engine thrust reversers in order to reach 8,000 feet in time to conform with his controller's requirements a normal procedure for the DC-8. At 2,000 feet, they passed the outer marker at 8 miles from landing, but they flew through the ILS localizer beam and had to be turned back on. With his glide path indications apparently fluctuating, he transferred his gaze to the radio direction indicator, which he felt was a more reliable instrument. It was at this point that, whilst configuring the aircraft, an error was made. The captain was using a beacon at Woodside to give him centerline guidance, and the aircraft was coming down at the previously selected rate of descent, since Captain Asso had failed to arm his autopilot so that it would capture the ILS beams. When he did arm the coupled approach, he was already below the ILS glide path and the aircraft would never get to a point where it would intercept the beam and lock on. In addition, his first officer failed to note his error and didn't call the altitude when crossing the outer marker, in addition to failing to respond to his captain when he asked for confirmation of their height in comparison with the ILS indication. None of the four flight crew made any comment concerning the absence of indications that showed the autopilot was locked onto the ILS beam and that the aircraft was merely descending on autopilot with no guidance. When they came out of the cloud at less than 300 feet, the first officer called that they were breaking out of the overcast, but he couldn't see the runway lights. Then he cried out in alarm that they were too low and they should pull up. The flight engineer had been observing the approach and felt that things were all normal until they emerged from the cloud when he realised that they were still descending, so he called for the captain to pull up as well. Captain Asso had already realised something was wrong and he pushed up the thrust levers to go around whilst pitching the nose up but those early jet engines were slow to accelerate to high power, and he realised that he was too late, as the main gear dipped into the water short of the runway. He closed the throttles, and the six-month-old DC-8 ploughed to a halt in the bay two and a half miles short of the runway. There was an unusually high tide of seven feet, at the time, which cushioned the landing, 
and Captain Asso felt the undercarriage settle gently onto the bottom of the bay about 500 yards from the Coyote Point Yacht Harbour, with the water still below the level of the cabin. Everyone described the touchdown as very light, and many passengers didn't even realise there was a problem until the sight of water all around the aircraft began to alarm them. An eyewitness told news reporters of the time, I heard the plane very low coming in. I, I looked up, and there it was, splashing down, just beautifully. After the plane came to rest, the flight crew evacuated the aircraft, placing the passengers calmly into life rafts. The first officer launched a raft off the starboard wing when, a few moments later, a voice came out of the fog. Ahoy there! Toss me a line and I'll tow you in. Captain Asho was the last to leave and there were no injuries amongst either the crew or the passengers. Nowadays it would be quite usual for the captain of a crashed aircraft to be represented by his union and a whole team of lawyers, but at his hearing, when faced by the National Transport Safety Board, Captain Asho was alone and the first to take the stand as a witness. As the person ultimately responsible for the safe conduct of the flight, Kohi Asho took full responsibility for the accident and refused to blame anyone else nor any other circumstance, even though there were many mitigating reasons to explain his error. For example, the NTSB wrote, Neither the captain nor the first officer indicated that they fully understood the capabilities nor the operating techniques of the Sperry Flight Director system. Additionally, information received from several other JAL flight personnel indicated an overall feeling of insecurity when operating the flight director. This feeling was based on a lack of information and training before the pilots started to use the system. As a result, additional training aids and ground school courses were provided and a special training curriculum on autopilot procedures was prepared and implemented. However, instead of blaming Mother Nature, the fog, the faulty altimeter, his first officer's incorrect calls or his lack of training, Captain Asso famously said to the board sitting in front of him, As you Americans say, Asso effed up. And with that, the Asso defense was born. More importantly, that's what accountability sounds like. No denying, no finger-pointing, no excusing. The result of his open acceptance of blame was that Captain Asso was temporarily moved away from passenger aircraft on two cargo operations and demoted to first officer. He went through further ground training and continued to fly for Japan Airlines until his retirement. Shiga, his aircraft, however, was hoisted out of the sea, sprayed down with 17,000 gallons of fresh water moved on to the airport by barge 
and was found to have only slight structural damage. Within six months, it had been returned to JAL, renamed Hidaka, and it continued to serve them until 1983, when it was sold on to work as a freighter, before being finally scrapped in 2001. They don't build them like that anymore. Really? Also, if I effed up? He actually used the full word, but I, I, you know, we try and keep this as family friendly <laughs> as we can. So, and I thought to myself when I heard that, are, are you pulling our leg again? Uh, absolutely not. No, it's very well documented. Yeah, <laughs> great, great really? story. <laughs> okay, yeah, great <laughs> story. And I, I tip my hat. Uh, you know, as often I do to characters in history who, you know, just do something unexpected. And uh, so was the uh, kind of an honourable guy who said, well, you know, there's only one person to blame for this, and it's me. Uh, you know, I, I, I messed up. That is very honourable. So, yeah, there yeah. So, as you mentioned, so many mitigating circumstances that maybe weren't directly the cause, but... Um, you know, he that he well, could have yeah. used as an excuse, but he didn't. Absolutely. That's very on, honorable, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, he was the guy flying it, and he didn't understand how the aircraft worked properly. But the reason he didn't understand how the aircraft worked, because they had completely, um, you know, under-trained him. Uh, I suspect, perhaps, that his position and his pride and his job prevented him from seeking clarification. Asking a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah, and mm-hmm. going, sorry, can you explain the scan? How does this, I don't understand. How does this work? Um, and, you know, requesting additional training. But the fact is, it was, it was, you know, he was set up for a fall by his company and, you know, he he took the fall and for that I have to admire him enormously I do as well another fascinating plane tale as uh, many of those in the live audience are uh, also saying and uh, Chris Uh, Griggs uh, said uh, very very uh, clear pronunciation of the captain's surname so I well, said, I, I was very tempted to use a, a, an English alternative, but I tried not to. <laughs> it would have been way too easy to make a joke out of his name. Well, but I know. No, I mean, I, there right. are a lot of people that said this captain was quite an asshole. <laughs> All right. But actually, the fact that his name is now stuck in history as being an honorable chap and this this declaration of taking blame is is now known by his name i think is a is a great honor to, to him I, I i love it i love mm-hmm. this this story really rang true with me i thought it was great really resonates with you Absolutely. that's a good word thank you it i does. mean and it's very unusual for me to actually come up with the correct word that i'm looking for <laughs> and without somebody telling me like liz in my ear what what i should say so. Oh, you see, you're thinking for yourself for a change. Uh, yeah, That's for really a change, good, Jeff. Well done. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks. I'm glad you guys are so surprised. Hey, we're uh, we're, we're um, yeah. Surprise is a good word. Okay. Good word. Yeah, Happy right. for you. Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. 
All right. Uh, again, very enjoyable. Thank you very much again for all the oh, hard thanks. work you put so, into one the plane final, One final point, because yeah. we, we've spoken about a few sea landing or a few water landings in the past. Of course, there was Captain Og, who, uh, you know, crash-landed in the sea halfway between Honolulu and San Francisco, mm -hmm. and all his passengers survived. He killed all the canaries in the cargo hold and some pets, which yeah. was a bit of a shame. There was, of course, Sully. But this was perhaps the best of them all, and so few people know about it. This guy landed... <laughs> Landed his DCA so smoothly. And nobody the realized. They didn't realize it. They were like, uh, "Yeah, oh, and there's they, a lot of water out there." They're uh, all getting up and getting their things out of yeah. the overhead bins. Exactly. And then they 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 craned it out, put it on a barge, and six months later, it was flying again. Well, you can't wow. say that about Sully's airplane because no, no, it's in a museum here in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, but, but I don't well, think it ever flew. The museum's out. actually not open at the moment, but I think the museum. They will forgot be to press well. the ditching push button. That would have been the icing on the cake. I, I, you um, know, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen that airplane in person, as I'm sure many have as well. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a little banged up. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little, just a little, a bit, a little. But anyway, sorry, do carry on. Oh no, uh, we're just. Um, Saying I really enjoyed that. Uh, thank you again, Thanks. sir. And look forward to the next installment of the Plain Tales. And uh, now nice. we're going to move on to uh, this audio feedback. Folks, you don't want to miss this one. This is from First Officer Rico. And it's uh, a little bit long, but that's what she said. But it was worth it. Uh, he says, hello, APG crew. Thanks again for making each episode Again, a joy to listen to. Please find here my first ever audio feedback. I hope it can be of any use, so you might take a little break and have a sip of your IPA. <laughs> That's why we really love First Officer Rico. Cheers, Rico. Yes, cheers. All the best. Here we go. Take it away, Rico. Hello, APG crew and community. I am First Officer Rico van Dijk from the Netherlands. Long-term listener, first-time audio feedback. And I hear you often say that feedback is such an important part of the show. And now I'm, I finally got the hint and decided to step out of my comfort zone, carry my share of the load and hand something in. So first time, please bear with me. Um, so this is my first uh, feedback, mostly aimed at any of your listeners who are either just started their aviation career or is about to and currently struggling through this pandemic. I hope you do to provide you some reference material to hold, hold on to, and uh, mostly during these difficult times, let's just say I have some um, experience on the subject. So the year was 2001, and I had the crazy idea to become an airline pilot. And I was just 18 years old, found a job at the local airfield, and agreed to have part of my salary paid out in flying hours. I studied the theory and got up to my first solo, but then 9-11 happened and shortly after the flying school ceased operating and I was left without school and without a job. So within the first year of my aviation dream, it was shattered for the first time. Um, unemployed and without a plan, um, I took a kind of desperate step and enlisted in the Navy, uh, where I ended up as a sonar operator on submarines. 
And the only flying I did for a long while was in the back of a Cessna caravan, um, where I flew a single way ticket and 70 free sky, free full skydives on the way down. <laughs> uh, hi, Dr. Staff. Um, yeah, the Navy taught me many things. Most importantly, I got in as a boy without a purpose and came out as a young man with a plan. Uh, then I took night school, completed my A-levels, and at age 23, I started flight training again. And this time I went for an integrated course because I learned that the airline that I was aiming at only hired students with this kind of flight training. And I think my military letter of good conduct and with honorable discharge has helped uh, play a good role in acquiring the $100,000 loan that was required. Um, it took only one and a half years, and then I got my ATP theory, CPL, IR, ME, MCC, the whole thing, uh, oddly known as the frozen ATPL. And all I needed now was a job. And unlike all the students in the year before me, uh, when I finished training, it was the year 2008, and the financial crisis had just kicked off, closing all the airline doors in front of me. So again, my aviation career was very uncertain and a retired airline captain gave me some good advice. He said, aviation is like a train that never stops, but sometimes it goes too fast and sometimes it slows down. And when that happens, be ready to jump on board. So with this in my mind, <clears throat> I understood that I needed to keep my ratings valid and stay close by the fire. So during the week, I took a job at KLM Engineering, and in the weekends, I was building hours on Cessnas 182s and 206 as a jumper dumper. I lived in an abandoned hotel with no running water or electricity, and I saved all my money for an instructor rating, or CFI, uh, which eventually got me my first full-time job as a flying instructor. Uh, I had a salary, and I worked at the Dutch Flight Academy. Uh, it was not kind of metaphorical train yet, but I was on the platform and um, for four years I worked with much fun at the flight academy, um, all the time eager and ready to jump on that train, but it never came. And as enthusiastic as I started, then I started to get worried because every year I saw hundreds of students graduate and hardly anyone getting a job. And I was basically training my own competition and many of them were young sky gods and some of them much better than me in every aspect, uh, whilst I was just getting older. And in 2003, uh, sorry, 13, I took another leap and moved to the UK where I worked for a company that had just started as an air taxi with four aeroplanes. And quickly they expanded into special ops type of operation with a fleet of 12 Diamond DA-42s uh, and the Norman Islander. And soon I was flying all over Europe and Africa and the Middle East and did a wide variety of missions uh, such as uh, delivery flights, flight calibration, joint police and military ops, uh, surveys, medical flights, oil spill response, you name it. Uh, and now I was making multi-engine and IFR hours. Uh, at first, this was fantastic. Great fun flying with, with retired RAF pilots and other young lads like myself and often weeks or months away from home in faraway countries with nice weather and tropical beaches and exotic foods and drinks and fun flying, true adventurous lifestyle. 
Um, but also the dark side when uh, staying away from home for very long periods of time it had taken its toll on the relation with my wife and she moved back to the Netherlands and we separated for a while Uh, not being able to be with my family was the first motivation to quit this job but also things got a little hairy from there on the company accepted bolder missions every time and often in active war zones and After I had an argument about safety with the new management that I wasn't going to win, I decided to resign for my own safety and well-being. And there I was again, unemployed, broke and homeless and this time in a foreign country. But I was taken in with a lovely South African couple. They rented me a trailer in their backyard for a bargain price. And at the local microlights flying club, I was freelanced uh, to pay for it. And there I learned what it's like when you have to put the can of beans back on the shelf in the supermarket because I simply couldn't afford it. And this was in 2015 and the train suddenly slowed down and I was ready to jump. And armed with a valid license, a filled logbook and some good resume, I was hired at Logan Air, Scotland's airline. And being assigned to the Twin Otter was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, Certainly, it isn't the easiest aircraft to fly, but by far the most fun of them all. And as I just listened to APG episode 481, Dr. Steph just also passed her test on the Twin Otter. Congratulations, well done. It's a fantastic piece of kit. I wish you many, many fun flying hours and well-behaving propeller governors all the way. Uh, yeah, we didn't fly skydivers. We operated the scheduled service from Glasgow to the Western Isles, including the island of Barra, which is the only scheduled beach landing in the world. Uh, we had three twin otters, one of the classic 300 series with all the steam gauges and did all this uh, great flying with DME arcs and timed NDB approaches. And we had two brand new 400 series with a glass cockpit and all the goodies such as LPV, TCAS, ADSB, and you name it. And the weather is always a challenge up north with close to 300 of days of IMC on average per year. Winds of up to 50 knots are not that uncommon and no autopilot of course. Um, eventually I was promoted to the left hand seat and got a side role as fleet technical manager. Also my wife and kids moved back in with me so things really couldn't get any better until disaster struck. So one morning I reported for work in the briefing room and I checked the flight plan with my co-pilot and then my right arm suddenly started to swell up and go all blue so I said you know, I, I don't feel too well. I'm going to sit down there for a bit in the crew resting room and uh, I never made it. I started walking and passed out, fell on the floor. Uh, luckily, my colleague knew his first aid very well and thereafter the NHS emergency services took good care of me. And it was caused by a DVT or deep vein thrombosis and that had blocked the bloodstream from my arm and prevented the blood going to my brain. So... Basically, I had a G-lock at 1G. <laughs> yeah. um, now, the medication got me on my feet quickly, uh, but needless to say that my aviation medical certificate was pulled straight away. And when I asked my AME what I should do to get it back, he said, um, I don't know. And the specialist in the hospital gave me then the bad news conversation that I would never fly an airplane again. The end.
although it could have been. Um, I had an insurance. I could have just cashed in and take on another job somewhere else and non-flying, of course. But I, I mean, I got this far. I'm healthy. I have a BMI of 20. I can do a level six in rock climbing. I can lift my own body weight with that bad arm alone. <laughs> I'm not giving up now, not just yet. So I started a long and tedious process of changing medication at first and then finding a way to convince the doctors that I was not written off just yet. And for months I had to undertake blood tests, echoes and CAT scans, MRIs, checks and interviews. And, and then the phone rang and it was the airline. It was Acme Dutch Green and I couldn't believe it offering me a job as first officer on the 737 out of Amsterdam, my dream job for the taking, and I didn't have a medical. So I, I went through the selection anyways, and those were the hardest two days of testing and interviews and simulators that I've ever had to endure in my life, but I got through and they offered me a starting date a few months ahead, so I had some time to work things out. And coming back in the UK, my AME was pleased with the results of my recovery and finally gave me my medical back. So I was able to finish the job on the Twin Otter with some epic flying around. And then in January 2019, after nearly 18 years of working towards this goal, I was flying the Boeing 737 at my favorite airline. Um, and I'm, I'm not sad that it took so long because... The journey to get there was one with many ups and downs, but it was an adventure to never forget. And it made me who I am today. And that's uh, one happy pilot. And as it goes in aviation, sometimes good times come and go. And in between, we have to cope with disaster and crisis and pandemics. And for the first time, now I'm one of the lucky few that can look out through the window of that train and see many of you standing out there on the platform, ready to jump on, but... Sadly, this is just not the right time. So I hope with my story, I can inspire you and motivate you to stay on that platform, stay current and stay involved in aviation by listening to the podcast here. You are already uh, one step in the right direction. You deserve to be on the train and one day you're going to make it. You're going to take the jump and after you succeed, then you can pass the metaphor on to your own students. I hope you enjoyed my story and I sincerely hope that yours will be a much easier one. Um, take care, y'all. All the best from Studio 446 Rotterdam Airport Hotel. This is First Officer Rico. Out. Wow. Amazing wow. story. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. I think we're uh, going to I'm quiz. completely blown away by Rico's story. I, 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 I listened to that. Early in the morning, uh, woke up, it was sitting in there in my inbox, and I made myself coffee and thought, oh, I'll, I'll play this and listen to it. And I was absolutely mesmerized for the 10 minutes it took to go through. And I'm just so inspired. You know, if, if I wasn't a retired pilot, I would be sitting there going, that's unbelievable, Ricky. Absolutely unbelievable to have overcome so many obstacles and yet maintain such a positive outlook um thoroughly thoroughly inspired it would it would you know truly the he's, he's truly the definition of perseverance yes absolutely right? absolutely that's the word yeah. that comes to mind mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. really really 
so impressed. And, uh, I, and, I, and I had to write to him and say exactly that. So uh, yeah. I'm so glad we've been able to play this. And I hope, I so hope that there are people out there in the show who might be thinking of jacking it all in because it's all got so hard over the pandemic and things just aren't looking good uh who you know just think right well i'll just hang on a little bit longer perhaps uh because of rico's story and um you know and hopefully their dreams will be fulfilled as well but uh geez that that's brilliant i loved it rico yeah, I'm actually hoping that um, I get a chance to meet Rico at a uh, meetup at some point in the future here, post-pandemic. Um, compared That'd to be great. Love to shake my hand. Oh, yeah. And in comparison to it's on the Twin <laughs> Otter and flying jumpers and all that good stuff. Yeah, what's this know. about the propeller governors? Um, ours work fine. I don't know. Ours is a 200 series, so it's even uh, uh, you know a bit more antique. <laughs> um, Love it. No. I don't know. Ours are, ours are good, at least. They have been, yeah. and they, I haven't had any issues. Yeah, you know, but this, I, I, I kind of laughed a little bit because it's just funny. They're, you know, it's they're older aircraft, obviously, except for the the newer ones that he gets to fly. So there's always something that's trying to yeah. break or not work correctly. They're just constant maintenance battles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is the sort of story that typifies, I think, you know, the the APG listener. Um, someone who has got a real story to, to tell and someone who can really motivate um, by hearing what they've got to say. I, I, uh, just, I'm really touched by Rico's um, feedback. Brilliant. Gave me goosebumps, honestly. Absolutely, Jeff. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of people, and we all know that people in our lives that complain about every little thing and you're going are you kidding me you know i don't know anyone about that jeff i don't know why you would say that well i'm not talking about you specifically stuff not me no i was worried i'm such a complainer just in general yeah you are you know how i (laughs) love you you meet them on the flight deck uh, every Uh, week or so don't you and you think why did you why do you bother doing this job if you hate it so much and yet there are people like rico who've spent so long trying to get where he has and i'm so pleased that he made it in the end this you know it reminds me of like in a in in hollywood or in show business you know how you somebody has been just working to the you know like just tirelessly tirelessly and poor and living in their cars and all of a sudden he He said he was living i mean mean, that was such a classic skydiving thing to be like living in a camper like at the drop zone and they get on these big shows you know and they become this uh, overnight sensation unquote you know it's like n- n- no it wasn't overnight no. 20 years 20 years ago is when he it's the it's started the meme this. that's out there you know of the the iceberg so all yeah. people see is the success at the tip yeah. of the iceberg what they don't see yeah. is all of the hard work that goes into it on the underneath the surface and i'm Good so point. glad that he sent you know took the time to record this and you know if it were twice as long rico i would have played we it still would have played it it is so inspirational, and it gives hope to so many people that are listening to the show who are experiencing, you know, not optimum times. Uh, people who have been doing this job and have lost it, or those who are have been dreaming about this career and, you know, now are faced with this real weird world and situation that we're in. But you know what? You just got to keep pers- persevering, and um, mm-hmm. you're just a classic model of what you need to do and yeah attitudes everything you know it is um 
if you can, at the worst of times, if you can see the positives in it and the reason for why you're doing what you're doing, then that makes all the difference in the long run. Yep. And our brand new senior executive producer, Sebastian, is in our live audience and he says oh, yeah, now brilliant. is not the much, time Sebastian. to abandon yes thank you sir no, i don't know if he not. was here the whole time or not but um he has been yep okay he was here great earlier. all right um man just so i'm gonna I, go back and listen to that again i knew there, there was some chatter between i think liz and nick when you sent in your uh feedback initially rico because nick did listen to it and was very impressed by it and i just um i think i was busy at work and i just didn't get a chance to go back and listen. So this was the first time I, I heard your audio, but I'm going to listen to it again. It was good. Yeah, it's definitely worth, and that's mm-hmm. at least the second, maybe third time that I've heard it. And uh, I want to do the same. It's uh, very inspiring. All right. Look forward to hearing more from First Officer Rico. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you know. But he, the only thing wrong <clears throat> is his dream was to fly a 737. Oh, here we go. Shut up, Nick. <laughs> oh, really? Come on. Shut up, Come Nick. on, Rico. Aim higher. <laughs> Where's your, you need a shut up Nick button. Like I do. Jeff yeah, button. Shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Nick. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, let's... Pay no attention to the old curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah. So Larry, the geezer, uh, writes in. He's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He said, uh, Captain Jeff and crew, uh, Captain Nick made the comment that Tulsa's gate A-10 should be named the Warthog Gate on a recent podcast. So I took the matter up with a friend at the airport, and we came up with the following. A-10, the Warthog Gate. B-4, if you arrive early. (laughs) A-1, if you've been hitting the sauce, the A-1 steak Mm -hmm. sauce. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay, yeah, got that. If you like Shakespeare, then B-2 or not B-2. (laughs) <laughs> or wouldn't that be to be or not to be okay uh and then uh he sent this in a little bit later a2 brutus uh, clever yes, yes. <laughs> i thought that was very okay clever. uh if it was a really bad flight you might uh, get b10 up b10 mm. uh, up. Mm, that's very um timely considering the yeah mm-hmm. yeah some of the news stories but if everything went well expect the reception will B9. And I said, or as I like to say, much better than malignant. Indeed. All right. And he also, uh, he also sent us in some other feedback. He said, here's an article from Airways magazine that explains where the aeroplane numbering system comes from. Long, but good. He said, go ahead and say it. That's what she said. Geezer. All right. So, the uh, this um, article is from airwaysmag.com, Airways Magazine. Boeing 737 MAX 10 or 737-10, what's in an aircraft name? And it's a great article. You should read the whole thing. It's kind of long, as he says, uh, but some people appreciate that. I did read this, actually. It's it's quite good. Yeah, and I'm just a if couple you're, of, If you're nerdy in like details, um, I, this is right up your alley. Well, every anybody that's listening to the show is going to like this article. I'll, le- I'll read a couple of different um, excerpts from it. The uh, Airbus 300 was the company's first aircraft. The name was formed using a simple rule. The first letter A represents the corporate name Airbus, and 300 represents the aircraft's capacity. Following that, Airbus opted to stick with the concept and began naming aircraft with multiples of 10. 
the A310, 320, 330, 340, 350, and 380. So why did Airbus forego the A360 and 370? The 380 was designed as Airbus's largest airplane, and the corporation perceived the idea, or no, excuse me, preserved the idea of reserving numbers between the A350 and the A380 in case it ever wanted to go back and develop smaller aircraft that could fit between the A350 and A380. So I thought that was kind of interesting. There's more about the Airbus series. And then switching to the Boeing naming convention, when Boeing switched from the propeller to jet airlines airliners in the late 50s, it restarted its numbering with the 707. It is a number that many aerospace engineers are familiar with. Seven, zero, and seven are the first three digits in both the sine and cosine of 45 degrees. Swept wings, which angle toward the back of a plane's fuselage rather than sticking out at a 90-degree angle, were novel at the time. According to Boeing lore, the name 707 was derived from the angle of the plane's wings. If true, it would be a suitable story, though to be exact... The 707's wing sweep was only 35 degrees, not 45. The numbers issued to commercial aircraft began in the 700s, so the number could have been the name of the first jet, but it just didn't sound right to the marketing team. 707 seemed more enticing with a ring similar to the 007 British spy code name of the at the time, uh, so famous on the big screen. Bond. And so the new naming convention was to be passed down through the generations. Yeah, more good stuff on there. Oh, including the, um, the 787. I'll just stop with that. I'll just end with this one. Before releasing an airplane, Boeing is circumspect about its name. The 787 began as a 7E7, with the E standing for efficiency, but the 8 felt predestined. In China, the number 8 is considered lucky. Remembering, uh, remember that the Beijing Summer Olympics started at 8 p.m. on August 8, 2008. Perhaps Boeing thought it comes to selling to the uh, Boeing thought that it comes to selling to the burgeoning Chinese market. A jet with an 8 in the name couldn't hurt. Interestingly, the 787 was also known by another name. Boeing officials were ready to call it the Global Cruiser, but until they decided to let the world vote on a name, a brief list of options was compiled and circulated widely of 500,000 people from 160 different countries. Uh, they all voted. When the votes were counted, Dreamliner had won by a margin of barely 2,500 votes. Wow, so it could have been the the Boeing Global Cruiser and not the Dreamliner, or as as Nick likes to refer to it, the bin liner. Ah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> so, anyway, really good article um, from Airways Mag, and uh, you should check it out. It'll be in the show notes if you want. Okay. Um, let's continue on with this feedback from Ladon. I think we have time, don't we? Yeah, it's only three uh, three minutes. So, oh, and I got to play it from my sound playing app for some reason. Evernote didn't like it. Hello, APG crew and community. It's Ladon again. Um, so today I was at work and I was thinking about planes as I usually do, and I was just thinking about all the little quirks about. Um, 
about the past diamonds I've flown and uh, in in the past. Um, and I was also thinking about the weird little quirks and, and nuances of the 1976 Cessna I now currently fly for my training. And I was like, hmm, some real funny stuff. Um, how, how I, I'm not sure how engineers or designers decide to put places or decide to put things in certain places. Um, or it just might even be after the fact where mechanics are just like, hey, let me just pop this in because the pilot wants it. And, uh, and yeah, that's usually how that drill starts, at least I think in uh, GA planes. But it led me to th- uh, wonder um, about the planes that you guys fly. Uh, so for you, Captain Jeff, uh, I know you fly the 717, but uh, you did pa- uh, fly the MD-80 and 90, and I've heard that that plane is pretty goofy, Is I think is the best way to characterize it. It's a, it's a real goofy plane, and I was just wondering if you could uh, talk about that or some of the things that you uh, found funny while you were flying, while you spent your time flying that. And uh, everybody else, uh, the rest of the APG crew, feel free to add on to that too. Um, like, if uh, Captain Reich, some of the fascinating, funny things about the Sub 47, if there are any. And uh, and I know um, Captain Nick is uh, very high strung on his Airbus, and it's built by Europeans. But I'm sure there's something goofy and weird about that plane too. So uh, feel free to set some light on that. Also, I'm not sure what um, what plane list flies. Not list. I'm sorry, um, Steph. I don't remember what plane Steph flies, but also I'm curious um, to see uh, what kind of funny things are about or go on. Not really go on, but funny things that are. That have to do with your plane. I hope that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, as always, have a great day. Love the show. Keep up the good work. See you guys around. Blue skies up and ground side down. I swear every time I come up with something new. But yeah, we'll go with that. Thanks again. See you around. We'll go with that. Um, goofy, huh? You think my airplane's goofy? Well, there are some goofy things about the Mad Dog and the Mini Dog. Uh, they share the same goofy location of the uh, magnetic compass, which is actually located above the first officer's head. And through a series of mirrors, smoke and mirrors, some people say, uh, you can actually view the uh, compass, the magnetic compass. But if it ever came down to the point where you had to rely upon that magnetic compass uh yeah things are pretty dire i would imagine but anyway there's a little mirror on the glare shield in the middle that you can adjust and it points back over above the first officer's head and then there's a mirror there that points forward uh, to where the actual magnetic compass is located and i've heard several different stories of why they put it in that location i think the most reasonable or um rational one would be the fact that it's just the best place to put it uh, to avoid any electromagnetic interference. Um, and the other thing that's kind of weird or goofy about the 
Mad Dog uh, series of airplanes and the 717 is the fact that um, there are no, except for the um, rudder, um, most of the Mad Dog series, uh, all flight controls are actually controlled by actual cables that go back to control tabs that are located on the control surfaces. So you move the yoke. That uh, moves the control tab that's on the trailing edge of the control surface, and that actually flies the control surface, which in turn uh, turns the airplane or uh, makes the elevator go up and down. Um, when people told me that when I first got on the airplane, I thought they were joking with me, but they, they aren't. It's, uh, it's true. It's true. So, it's true. It's very true. Um, so yeah, a couple little... Uh, goofy things about my airplane and nick was uh just shaking his head there's nothing goofy the airbus or is just, about the airbus. just wow. supremely designed everything is I ergonomic really, and magical I, yeah i i was really magical. struggling um <laughs> actually i suppose one of the things that uh, i always thought was a shame um you know the 747 was built with um main undercarriage that actually tracked it could it could turn left or right so that if you need to negotiate a sharp corner uh the undercarriage would actually turn to allow you to go around uh i don't know if it helped align in a crosswind but certainly the b52 had an undercarriage mm. that would actually align in a crosswind yeah uh so it pointed down the runway now um, on the 340, you know, even the 600, which was at the time the longest airliner ever built, um, it was glued in one direction. And when you went around a sharp corner, the you could see, I mean, you didn't feel it in the aircraft so much unless the ground was very wet, but you could see the tyres scrubbing and twisting and you could see the... The, the tires trying to like roll off the hub never happened. Mm. But it also, you could see the strain on the undercarriage, which is one of the reasons why the undercarriage was pretty meaty on the 340. Um, because they, Airbus, in its wisdom, decided, oh no, we'll just, we'll just make it strong enough so that it doesn't worry. But it was, I thought it was a very inelegant solution to getting around a corner in a very long aeroplane i always thought boeing have you know one up there just oh let's just turn turn the undercarriage so it tracks properly um rather than scrubbing around the corners and ripping the tires open you know the nose wheel uh because it had so much force to overcome used to scrub and skip along the ground which was very uncomfortable so Mm. that for me was probably one of the goofiest thing and the other thing was in the similar vein um fly by wire i loved steer by wire which is what you do with a tiller i mean steph had his her problem sorry on the uh, twatter <laughs> with its uh tiller it's attached twitchy. to the control twitchy. yoke and yeah. going up and down rather than <laughs> left and right. I mean, oh, That's yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. We're going to talk it? about yeah, the twatter here in a second. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's let's do talk that. about some quirky airplanes, goofy things. Exactly. Huh? But uh, the tiller on the uh, Airbus um, is fiber wire. So um, you can just turn it as far as you want. There's no restriction. You can just whack it to full deflection. But, of course, you've no idea what 
the actual wheel is doing until you see the effect it's having on the aircraft. So when you turn the tiller, you've got to kind of think, well, how much tiller am I going to need? Let's turn it and set it to what I think it's going to need. You have to wait for the wheel to actually physically turn to match what you've selected. If when it gets there, and you've no real idea when it gets there until the airplane stabilizes in a turn, um, you go, oh, it's not quite enough. And one thing about a very long airplane, you do not want to twiddle with the tiller when you're in the middle of a turn because it leaps, bangs backwards and forwards <laughs> and all the cabin crew fall over. <laughs> It becomes... That's no good. Uh, you know, the passengers <laughs> wonder what the hell's going on. Because, you know, a little tweak when you're establishing a turn and the whole airplane lurches around like, you know, God knows what. So with experience, you can be very good at steering the airplane around the airport. But it takes a lot of experience and a lot of uh, embarrassing uh, conversations with the cabin crew and afterwards. Injured flight attendants. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. That's funny. Oh, the twatter. The twatter. Um, well, oh, I was we first I was trying that. trying to think um, if there were any weird quirks in the caravan, and not a whole lot. It's pretty conventional. Everything is in a more or less um, uh, appropriate place for where you'd expect to find controls and and whatnot. Um, it is hard to see the rudder trim because Cessna has placed it way down on the control pedestal, like down below things. And you really have to like, okay, there it is, you know, before you um, take off. So um, that's probably the only thing that's kind of mildly annoying. Um, but the twatter, that is a special aircraft. Um, so I think most aircraft um, that are out there these days, you'd expect to find um, you know, way to set power, your prop controls, your fuel mixture stuff, all somewhere um, kind of in front of you or down low or on a pedestal of some sort. Not in not in the Twin Otter. It's, it's up here. It's up uh, overhead. Makes sense. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Is that because of the snow? Uh, so I've seen a lot of different explanations <laughs> for why. <laughs> but no, um, the best explanation I've seen for that is because it's a high-wing aircraft and the engines are mounted on the wings. Um, and because this is not, th this is true fly-by-wire, cables, pulleys, all that type of stuff, that is the most direct um, uh, routing to the engines from those uh, control surfaces. So um, just Yeah, you have to hell with the pilots. No, I mean, you better, you know, you have to, your, your arm has to be almost at 90 degrees at the shoulder and the elbow if you're manipulating the um, the throttles or the, the props. Which so, you do a fair amount in a, a lot because there's flown zero, <laughs> there is zero automation in the aircraft. Um, <laughs> yep. And another reason for that, so they took advantage of placing all of the power prop fuel controls uh, overhead and then they made a uh, center pedestal yoke so there is just uh, so for both the the right seat and left seat the controls funnel down into the center um, which again I think was a design inspired by simplicity um, so probably does serve some purpose there um, but yes if you if you pull on uh, and I think some Beechcraft aircraft are like this, but if you you know if you pull on the 
yolk, um, it's definitely going to pull it into the other pilot's lap as well there. So, um, uh, what else on that? We already mentioned kind of the yoke mounted tiller. Um, it's, it's straightforward enough to use. It's just kind of twitchy. Um, takes a, a little bit of getting used to. Oh yeah. And very logical. Uh, you know, up is it, right up and for down left is and left. Down for right? No, the other way. Up. Yeah, he is. That's how yeah. logical it is. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's a little goofy. A little, yeah. little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's Canadian design, so we'll leave oh, it Oh, well, there that. we go. <laughs> Our Canadian isn't here to defend herself. <laughs> Not here to defend the honor of to have Canadian, one. Sorry. up for right, down um, for left. I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm English. What do I know? Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting airplane. It's um, it, uh, as uh, First Officer Rico was mentioning earlier. It's it's a bit of a handful to fly. Sometimes it's a little physical, and um, yeah, it's an airplane. You definitely have to you have to keep flying it all the time. It's an honest airplane. Honest airplane, most definitely. Excellent. I enjoy it. Um, oh, I was going to mention. Um, speaking of uh, Beechcraft. Very early models of the Bonanza. I have a friend who has a very early V-tail Bonanza, like 1947, 8, 9, something along those lines. Oh, my goodness. That um, cockpit layout is the least logical of anything I have ever seen in my life. I can't even remember where they've put stuff, but it's kind of like they... um, They're kind of like, oh, we need, um, like, a switch for landing gear. Let's put it, like, way over here. There's a spot we have There's a a random (laughs) spot here that we can put that. And, like, maybe the flaps, like, somewhere else. And, like, nothing is in... And it's all kind of backwards and wrong. Mm. That was... It was impressive. I'll have to um, elaborate on that in the future if I get a chance to fly in that airplane again. It's interesting. Every time you say Bonanza, I think of a, a map... I love that show. Yeah. Good old Hoss. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Lydon, for Ladon. No. For your, I know, I did that on purpose. For your feedback, and thanks you for thank you for spawning or starting some conversation regarding the goofiness of airplanes that we've flown. And uh, finally, I know we're getting close to the three-hour point, but we're going to do this because I, well, Spencer was here earlier. I'm hoping that he's still here with us in the live audience. Um, He sent us in this. Uh, Hey, APG crew, just wanted to send some follow-up feedback. I ended up having my check ride a little sooner than anticipated. It happened on Saturday, July 24th, and I passed it. Hey! Congratulations. Well done. (laughs) And I know that's extremely loud. I'm sorry. It was a very abrupt ending of applause. Wow. Yes, it was. But in the audio only, it'll be nicely fading out. Yes, I can fix it in post. Yeah, the audience all just die simultaneously. (laughs) Yay! Yeah. Uh. Yeah, It was a big, uh, the lights went out. Um, Anyway, uh, the DPE, Designated Pilot Examiner, was really a really laid-back guy, and it really calmed my nerves. We breezed through the whole thing, and between the flight and the oral, it was just over two hours. I'm really was glad. Was that it, the pot-laden cookies you gave him? I don't think that he's not talking coffee. about oral. Um, oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, like marijuana. I just wanting why he was so calm back. and laid back. Oh well, maybe. 
I mean, I've I've taken check rides with very calm, laid back DPS. It, it uh, is by nice. the way, I, I'm not recommending you poison your examiners with pot laden cookies. Uh, it's not an ideal way to pass a check ride. That is not an yeah. official but recommendation <laughs> from the APG. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it really does make a difference when you're with a, an examiner who's <laughs> who you know, smokes straight. pot. <laughs> Whoa, this is cool. Wow. Just, Can you do that again? <laughs> not, not overly, you know. High strung, I would say. Yeah. Makes you, yeah. Not a lot of like nervous energy or something. That's not what you really want in your exam. You want someone who's going to show up and be like, okay. Yeah. Show me what you know. Anyway, says, I'm really glad it ended with a pass and I'm headed right into working on my instrument writing. I mentioned in my last feedback that I'm switching from a part 141 program to a part 61. I'm starting yeah, at my new school at the start of the next week. There are a few reasons I'm switching, and hopefully this can help someone who is looking at different schools and make an informed decision. The program I attended was a 141 program that was part of a college. To put it in simple terms, the college made it a bad experience. The first reason I'm switching was aircraft availability. The school only has about 24 airplanes and 300-plus students, so you can imagine it was pretty hard to wow. be able to fly often when everyone was trying to get their training done. At one point, I was lucky to fly once every other week. Let me tell you, it's impossible to ever get proficient when learning to fly if you're only flying once every other week. This led me to be to this led to me coming into the program with 37 hours of flight training. I did have about 2 year a 2 year gap. And it ended up taking 11 months and an additional 55 hours of training, which I thought was just ridiculous. Uh, The thing is with these college programs, at least mine, is if you don't have your rating or certificate done by a certain deadline, you can't get into the next semester for your next course. At least at my school, the classes fill up pretty much instantly. So if I were to stay at my current school, I couldn't even start the next part of my training until January. And at this rate, it would take me another three to four years to finish the rest of my ratings through Certified Flight Instructor. Hence why I'm switching to a more accelerated Part 61 school. And no, it's not ATP for those wondering. Uh, Here I should be about to get through CFI in about 9 to 12 months. So next week I'll start Instrument Ground School and working on building my cross-country PIC time. Hopefully this helps someone in making a choice in a school. I would recommend really finding out what aircraft availability is at a school before choosing to go there. It made a massive impact on my training. Anyway, there's my little rant. Thanks for the show and keep the blue side up. And again, that's Spencer. So that's not a little rant. That's a major failing of that particular course. You know, and I was thinking as... You're reading through his uh, feedback, Jeff. It's mm-hmm. just something where I just kind of got lucky along the way that yeah. I didn't have that experience because um, I think if you're just starting out, that's not something that you would really think to look into necessarily. Like, oh, flight school, they have airplanes yeah, and I'm, I have these requirements and things that I'm yeah. going to meet and do. Um, and you don't expect that to be an issue. So that's, um, that's good advice for people um, mm-hmm. just getting started um, to really kind of do your homework on the school that you're choosing, and and I think probably really important talk to people who are currently um, going through the program. You yeah. know, see what their experiences are. What what um, what are the upsides? What are the downsides? Exactly. No pun intended. 
Yeah, we've got to know what questions to ask, which is why this is such valuable feedback. Yeah, who would have thought mm-hmm. that that would be even something you'd have to think about? You know, you just no. assume that they I would have the proper it. resources, yeah. if you know, based you on the number school. of students. You have yeah. airplanes, you have students. Yeah, you know, so people fly. Yeah. Yeah. Spencer, hopefully that uh, really helps somebody out there listening. And yeah. I'm sorry you went through that. Oh, look. Rick sent us, um, while we were doing the show here, he sent us a uh, picture of him and telling us and wishing us uh, a great show. Excellent. So thank you, Rick. Yeah. I don't know where he's off to, but... Do appreciate that. I'm sure it's he's like Hawaii to... or something. I don't know. It's California he's or Hawaii, to... I'm sure. Yeah. One of he's those places. He's about to brain himself and all those circuit breakers. Yeah, watch yeah. your head. Watch your head, Rick. Yeah. All right. And with that, it's time to wrap it up. And, oh, uh, may I just point out that Graham is in oh, well, Ithaca. Look in at you, Greece. New York. Oh, oh Greece. nice is that? <laughs> Ithaca, New York. No, not Ithaca. New York. <laughs> Greece. Also, a nice place. A nice place, yeah. just not Greece. Yeah, I would imagine that Ithaca, Greece, is probably a little bit different experience. Greeting to my APG friends from from oh, where? Oh wait, we just talked about it. <laughs> I'm glad that you're listening, Graham, and uh, we hope you have a great time in that awful location. Terrible. Yeah, yeah I hope the forest fires over there aren't too bad. Yeah, there, some there fires. Been in... quite a few in Turkey and Greece. Well, so good luck. Yeah, around Athens, maybe, or no, yeah. or somewhere. Yeah, one of our wrong. close APG it, it friends. It sounds like it's there. one of those little Greek islands that's just perfect. Yeah. I'm sure it is. He flew there in mm-hmm. an R44. Mm-hmm. Ooh, a helicopter. Mm hmm. Wow. Robinson R44. Yeah. Um, yes, Aaron, Ithaca is gorgeous. That's Ithaca, New York, with the gorgeous. <laughs> never been there, so I'll just have to You've take your been? word for it. No, not ah, Ithaca, home, New York. Home of Cornell and Ithaca College. Oh, well. There's a Greek island that. in New York? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Let's keep rolling here and talk about, we're wrapping it up, guys. Uh, the <laughs> website, an awesome website where there's all kinds of information about all kinds of things. Just check it out, airlinepilotguide.com. And we're on social media, or what I like to call, because I'm an old fogey, a geezer, I like to call it the social needs. I'm pretty sure the cool kids stopped using that term about. I'm not a cool ago, kid and never pretended to be. <laughs> um, but Good if you're job. on the social media, you can find us at Twitter. We are at APG Crew. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. And um, occasionally Instagram. I promise some one of these days I'll go back to reposting Nick's awesome artwork there because it's a good form for that. Oh, uh, we are to talk about that again. APG Crew oh, on Instagram. And we need a show title. Well, let's let's talk about that after we actually end the show. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm just <laughs> this is that's for the chat room. I said okay, that. just to put that seed in their head. Yeah. Okay. Um, excellent. So there you go. There's social media. We're also on one other type of social media. Let's see if. Um... Oh, he made it to the cabin. Yeah, I think so. Excellent. Wait. Hey, hello. Hello. Do you, do you have time to tell us about Slack? That's that's okay. It's a cabin. It doesn't matter. I don't. I, and I'm outside, and I'm at this big wooden and it's a rental table, and it's a rental. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know it. <laughs> All right. So tell us about Slack, please. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Jeff? What? Do you still have some of that good shampoo from the last place? Yeah. No? Oh, well. <laughs> yes, I need to go buy some shampoo. Good shampoo. The good shampoo. Yeah, from the last place. All right. And uh, this is also where we normally thank Liz for all her hard work, but gosh, she's up there enjoying her holiday and yeah, putting up the cuddling puppy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun, Liz. Can't wait till you're back. <laughs> Until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I fly over